Hi, welcome to another episode of Solo BG Podcast. My name is Derek, and believe it or not, we are on episode 79. Wow, can you believe it? 79 episodes after we start back on about two years ago, and we are so happy to be here. In the, this one is the, the special one, that one that I spoiled you a little bit on the last previous five episodes, I will say. And this is probably one of the most listened through the whole year, because As you know, if you have been following the podcast on the previous years, at the end, we do a top five list uh, of the solo and cooperative board games. Sometimes we mention some of the competitive as well. But usually those episodes are the ones that most listeners go to and, and you know, and, and listen to them and enjoy them. And that's why we are here today or tonight or this evening to talk about this top five list from different perspectives, you know, because... Guess what? I have a big surprise for you also, like I spoiled before. If you have following, you have been following the podcast since the beginning, I'm pretty sure that you're familiar with Jonathan and Caleb, my two good friends. Uh, amazing friends, amazing gamers, you know, great people. They are here tonight with us, you know, through the technology, through Skype, of course, because right now in this chaotic and unique year, well, we all have to take precautions. But... They are here with us. We're gonna have we're gonna share all these different perspectives, which it will be very fun because we all, even if we play together and we are a gaming group and we play in a weekly basis on a normal time and normal year, um, it's, it's still very interesting because the three of us have different perspectives on games. We appreciate different things. Uh, some of us we go with the graphic design, with the theme, with the immersion. Uh, you know, another will go with the mechanic-wise, uh, the history behind the game, and a lot of things that we're going to be talking tonight, this evening, or today. So, with that being said, let's start, like always, in three, two, one. Welcome to Solo BG your podcast for solo and cooperative board games. Here you will find everything you need to know about your favorite and most recent games. Art, rules, gameplays and interviews. Here is your host, Derek Rodriguez. All righty, so now we are officially on episode 79 of Solo BG Podcast. My dear friend, Caleb Wiles, how are you tonight, my friend? Hey, I'm good. Good to be here. Hey, good to have you here. It's been a long. Can you remember the last time that you were in the show? Probably last year for the year-end wrap-up, I think. <laughs> That's right. It was <laughs> last year for the top top five. So that doesn't mean that I haven't seen you in a year. I have. I, well, it feels like on with this uh, COVID situation for the last couple of months, but uh, we yeah. actually played quite a bit during this year, right? Oh, of course, taking, taking our precautions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Jonathan, you are there also on the other side of the speaker. How are you, my friend, tonight? Doing pretty well. Yeah, have you been playing a lot? Um, off and on. Uh, off and on, right? Uh, getting into video games a little bit, taking a little bit of a um, a break there, but still been playing a decent amount. Yeah, well, that's good, you know. And I actually was mentioning on the previous episode that, you know, it was what this last couple of uh, two or three weeks, it has been weird for me because I also been playing a bunch of video games, and I did a recommendation of the Ghost of Tsushima. Fantastic game, very immersive. Uh, very uh, strategy-wise, sort of like an open-world adventure, but we're not here to talking about video games, so don't listen to me, but there is my recommendation, and I throw it out there a few episodes ago. So with that being said, my friends, you are here to listen about our list, to listen about our top five, 
And with that being said, we're just going to start with it. And I would like to start with my friend, Caleb Wiles. Caleb, you're going to mention, you're going to go from five to one, of course. Number one will be your top most favorite game of 2020. Now, big disclosure out there. Uh, the games that we're going to mention uh, of, on these episodes, it doesn't mean that they were released this year. It just means that this year we happen to play them more and we have them to enjoy them more or appreciate them more, and they make it all the way to our, you know, tier of five games that we just ended up loving during 2020. Once again, this chaotic and unique year. So, Caleb, if you want, go ahead and tell us about your number five. I'm excited, man. I want to listen all about it. Yeah, so my number five is actually an old game. I think it's sort of considered a modern classic at this point. Uh, it's Race for the Galaxy from Thomas okay. Lehman. And uh, I got this, I think, for Christmas last year. My wife purchased it for me. I also got the solo module that goes along with it. Um, and I also learned the, uh, the app version of the game. And okay. both are really excellent, but I think the reason it makes my list uh, is, is really the app. Even though I like playing it uh, you know, with the AI bot and the dice, the app is so easy to pick up and play. Uh, so I, there was a, a, you know, when I first started playing it, I think there was a, a few weeks where I played it every single day, uh, and I still play it very regularly. It's super easy. Once you get over the uh, the symbology and the, the slight learning curve, uh, it's a super great game to play. And then we also had a chance to play this uh, competitively this year and even played it uh, on the internet, Board Game Arena. And I think that's how you guys learn the game. So oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's only but a goodie uh, race for the galaxy. Yeah. And I have to say here that not to give advertising or anything like that, I don't think that they sponsor us, but Board Game Arena, it's a fantastic website. Like Kelly was mentioning at the beginning of this year, at least here in U.S. towards March, uh, April, it was when we really started to struggle with the COVID-19. And I remember back on that time, we started to play a lot online, the three of us, and we were using Board Game Arena. So if you haven't checked it out, go and check it out. There's a free version that you can try, boardgamearena.com. And uh, over there, you can, you know, take a look of a, a excellent, well, I will say an excellent and decent amount of uh, games out there that you can try them. They also have some in, in beta versions. Uh, and you can go into a premium tier where you're going to get access to more games and different, you know, abilities that you will be able to use on the website. So check it out. That's Board Game Arena. Now, Race for the Galaxy, which is your number five, Caleb, on Board Game Geek, it has a 7.8 uh, rating. It, ha it plays two to four players, a complexity of 2.98 out of five. It has a play time of 30 to 60 minutes and is designed by Thomas Lehman. Uh, artist is Martin Hoffman and is published by Rio Grande Games. Do you agree with Board Game Geek? Do you think it should be higher on the rating or, or do you think it, it was enough there? What about the complexity, though? Almost three out of five. Do you think it's that complex? Yeah, I think it's one of those games that once you learn it, you sort of wonder why you ever found it complex to learn because there's just a lot of symbology. And uh -huh. once you understand it, you know, you can't imagine playing the game without it. But in the beginning, there's just a lot of symbols, I think. Uh, I was actually a little nervous about trying to learn the game. And that's, uh, you know, something that the app helps. So if you're, if you're looking to learn the game on your own, I think the app is a good way to start, even if you just use it to learn the game, because it has a tutorial, kind of goes through the rules. And uh, I think that's a good way to go. Now, do, do you, which, which way do you will suggest this game to play with? Do you think the competitive way or the, or the solo mode or, or the app version, the, the board game version? Which one do you think will be the, the best to go for all our amazing listeners out there? So for this one, I think it's definitely better competitive. I've played it uh, one to three players. 
mm-hmm. and I think competitive is definitely the way, the way to go. If you're going to play it solo, the AI bot they have is very well done. However, uh, I, I still prefer playing it competitive via the app, I think, uh, if I'm if I'm going to choose a solo game of this. But with that being said, this is still enjoyable as a solo game, right? Yeah, for sure. The the way they the way they uh, the bot chooses its moves is uh, uh, really interesting and uh, really well done. All right, so there you go. That's number five from Mr. Caleb Wiles. Race for the Galaxy, definitely a game that you should check out, like him that he recommended. He has very good ratings with Caleb. I mean, the five out of you know up to 2020, and also on Board Game Geek. So check it out. That's Race for the Galaxy. Now we go with number five. For my dear friend Jonathan Sarki. Jonathan, the microphones are yours. Jonathan, tell me which one is your number five and why is that? So it probably won't be a surprise to you two, um, but this <laughs> one is a relatively new game. I think it came out maybe a month or two ago. Well, I guess it was okay. last month because it came out right before my honeymoon, so I had time to take it on my honeymoon to play with my wife. Um, okay. And this is um, the Unlock Star Wars edition um, from Space Cowboy. Um And it still falls under that unlock escape room system, but all three um, scenarios are Star Wars based. So as a fan of Star Wars, you'll recognize, you know, either from the original trilogy or for some of the other movies, the setting of the scenarios, uh, maybe some familiar characters. Um, But I think out of all the unlocks that I've done, and I've done all of them, um, this is probably the best on theme. I don't think they were necessarily the most challenging But I think they did a really great job of incorporating the Star Wars theme into that system. Um, They had some cool little gimmicks in there. Um, And even this year I've done, I think there were six other unlock escape rooms that came out. And we've done all of those. Um, And those were great, especially for two people. So um, during this time, especially if if you're at home and you only have your significant other or maybe um, just your immediate family, um, these have been great during COVID um, when you can't go out and have the usual game night, um, you could just sit down and do one of the unlocks. And especially now, they all come with the three escape rooms in one box. So you could do that over a night or a couple nights. Um, and I've been really impressed with what they've done this year. And I think out of all the systems, unlock is still my favorite just because they've worked well with the app and try to put a new gimmick or something special with each new escape room. So they all feel a little bit different, even if you know some are better than the others. Um, but I've kind of focus more on those and have kind of gotten away from some of the other ones like the exits and some of the other rooms that just kind of feel the same um, where unlock I feel like is uh, really shown through this year um, is probably my favorite escape room system of the year. All righty. So now let's go jump into the board game geek uh, perspective. Uh, it has a 7.1 on rating and it has a rank overall of 4,032. It plays 60 to 90 minutes. Uh, it's, it's one to six players. So as Jonathan was mentioning, you can play it solo or you can play it with your significant other or with your close family, uh, you know, in these special uh, times, I guess. Uh, it plays, they recommend it to play it age 10 year plus uh, and it has a weight complexity of 1.7 out of 5. Uh, once again, it's published by Space Cowboys and it's designed by, I hope I pronounced it correctly, Cyril uh, Demicht, I hope, and Jason Little. And, you know, it's, a, it's you know, Jonathan, I'm very curious about this game As you know, you had lent me in the past a few escape rooms, uh, you know, sort of like unlock games that they're called, better said. Um, and I have enjoyed them. I have to be honest, I'm very bad at those games. And usually when I play with Eric and my wife, I mean, she's always giving the advice, but I'm very stubborn and I don't listen and I go the other way and we ended up losing. But um, this one in particular, 
I don't think I have been excited of any about any unlock game more than this one. And of course, is the theme. I mean, if you do an unlock game that it will be Star Wars or Batman, I will be there. And uh, and this one, I'm very excited. Now, without spoiling too much, Jonathan, does it focus on the for all 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 the Star Wars geeks over there like me? Does it focus too much just on the first trilogy, on the on the second trilogy? On the episode one, two, three, do you get to say a little bit of everything? I mean, without without spoiling too much, just to get a better idea. Um, kind of, and um, I'd say I don't think any of it necessarily focuses on really the prequels or the sequel trilogy. Um, but the first two are more, I guess, set in the original trilogy. Um, I mean, I don't want to necessarily spoil any of the things that you do, but like even if you look at the box, the first one is obviously set on Hoth, so okay. the String Empire. Um, yeah. The second one I'm trying to remember, but it's... Um, I have here that it says Jeddah. Uh, that's the third one. So that's set okay. um, kind of around the same time as Rogue One. You'll see similar um, things or you'll hear things that sound familiar from Rogue One. Um, and then the second one, I think, is more um, of a prisoner thing. So I don't know if it necessarily had a certain time frame. Um, but I, I want to say it's probably set in the original trilogy as well. But each one... Is a different setting um, and feels different, but it's definitely um, the Star Wars theme. And I think to your previous point, Derek, where you know you said you're not as, as good at these, I think they do a good job of having more of the theme there, and um, they do have some helpful things. You know, even if you're not great at escape rooms, so that you can still get through it and enjoy the game. So uh, definitely recommend it. Okay, so there you have it. If you're looking for a Star Wars game in a different way, more like a, you know trying to survive, I guess, on, on trying to solve the clue. Well, there you go. This is a great option. And I'm really, and Jonathan, you know this, I'm really looking forward to try one. It's it's one of the games that I haven't bought yet because, once again, with these games, the unlock is like you play and the downside is that the replayability is not there because you will go towards the same things over and over. So that's why it's a good idea that if you get these games, you know, once you finish them, you can either try to give it to friends or uh, try to, you know, give it to family members or somebody that will enjoy them as well as you do. Now, usually the price range for this one, I don't know how how expensive is, uh, you know, this unlock one, but usually these are very accessible games. Usually these games round between, uh, I would say the small boxes like $10, $12 American dollars. This one, do you have over there, Jonathan, the information, an average of how much this game was? Uh, I don't. I pre-ordered it, so it was a little bit cheaper. I think it was like twenty-six, but I think normally it's, they're about thirty. So okay. it's just about, like you said, ten dollars for each individual one. But it's still super reasonable, and we usually share. So if you and Caleb both get to play it, it's definitely worth the money. That's right. That's why I haven't bought it. <laughs> but uh, but so there there you go. Around thirty American dollars. Probably add another couple of bucks if you are in euros. And um, in other currency, well, I'm not that smart. So <laughs> anyway, so there you go. That's where you can get Unlock. Now we go to my number five. And this is a game that it came out this year, actually on 2020. And it was a Kickstarter that I had to say, as you know me, uh, Jonathan and Caleb and amazing listeners, I tend to back and buy games blindly, which you shouldn't do that. You never should do that. You always have to do your research and stuff. But I'm stubborn, like I mentioned, and I go blindly just for the team. Um, this is a Kickstarter that it's made by Renegade Game Studios, and it was sent to backers around, you probably will say August, kind of average. And I'm talking about Warp's Edge. Warp's Edge, I will tell you the board, uh, BGG perspective, it has a rank overall of 3,253. 
8.1 on the rating. Uh, it was a game for 2020. It's a completely solitary game. Uh, age 10 year plus, uh, 30 to 45 minutes per playtime. And the weight complexity, it's 2.2 out of 5. In Warp's Edge is designed, it's polished once again from Renegade Game Studios and is designed by Scott Elms. And the artist is Tyler Johnson. In this game, basically for me, and I put it right there, if you have seen the episode three of Star Wars, um, and you know, you remember at the first scene when Anakin and Obi-Wan, they're flying about the planet. Remember the name of the planet, the planet. You can help me with this, Jonathan, since you are a little bit more geek than me for in Star Wars. But on that scene and that opening scene, you see all the ships fighting each other and this and that and throwing bombs and grenades and stuff. Well, that scene, it's basically the game for me. Basically, you're gonna have uh, you know, some cards laid out on, on the on the middle of the table. You're gonna have your 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 ship, and then it's gonna have a similar mechanism of deck building. But instead of deck building, you will be putting collecting tokens, gaining tokens during the game, putting in, putting them in a bag, and then you're gonna be drawing tokens from there. Now, with these tokens, you can attack the enemy ships that you will have in front of you. And once you're able to, usually, once you're able to manage and destroy all those ships, then you can go and try to kill the mothership. The, each mothership has different, uh, or nemesis or enemies, they have different conditions. Some of them, you can attack them while you still have enemy ships in front of you. But some of the other ones, you had to wait until you clear the path in that way you can attack them. And the premise of this game, because it has a campaign, is just to put in a few words, you wake up from, let's say, a hyperspace um, drive, and you are completely alone. You, you just, it's just you and your ship. And then suddenly, you find yourself in the middle of a bunch, a bunch of alien ships, enemies that they're coming towards you to destroy you or you're walking to them, however you want to see it. I don't remember exactly the specifications in the story, but basically that's the premise. And then you just start to fight. It's super fun. Once again, completely solo, uh, solitary game. It's on this solo series of, uh, of Renegade game that they have been releasing, which I don't remember. Oh, Proving Grounds. Proving Grounds was the, was the other game that you have, Caleb. Uh, so it's in the same series. But, of course, a completely different game. Warp's Edge, like I mentioned, is super fast. I played it more than 12 times since I got the game. I was lucky enough to get the whole Kickstarter pledge, which it was the base game, uh, acrylic tokens, um, a neoprene mat, and also a little expansion that adds more enemies and a little bit of more campaign-wise story. Believe it or not, even if you like to play campaign, I, don't th I think the flavor text and the flavor of the immersion from the campaign can help you into kind of do some decisions along the way but even if you don't want to if you don't care too much about the campaign you can just play to destroy all the motherships and the enemies and the bosses and you will still have a blast it's for me like once again going back to episode three of star wars that opening scene or if you remember those sort of like galaga game type ish kind of when you're just trying to fight different enemy alien ships ufos and then destroy the the main uh the main mothership caleb you also got this kickstarter what are your feelings on this game yeah this is definitely on my short list uh i, I feel like i want to play it more times i got sort of got overloaded at the end of the game uh, end of the year with all these kickstarters so i uh -huh. probably played it uh three or four times and that, that came you know day one and two probably uh when i had it and uh it's super easy and it, it, it definitely has a lot of uh just a flow to it so w once you play there's not a lot of like looking up rules the complexity is there from a decision making standpoint but not yeah. really from a rules grit standpoint so you can just you know fire it up there's lots of variety for what kind of ship you're going to fly what kind of enemy you're going to fly against 
the campaign book is there, like you mentioned, which helps add to the flavor text. But even just jumping in on just putting this ship against that ship and trying your luck uh, is really fun for like a pickup and play game. And also the game tray, I don't, I don't know if they're actual game trays, but the trays that are in the box are, are really cool too because they help you uh, in storage and also in gameplay. You just take the That's tray true. out yeah. and you're set up. And I really like that uh, aspect yeah. of the game. Yeah, you're right. The trays really help to organize every setup of the game, like you mentioned. Because when you're, I don't know if, if you have uh, played Amazing Listeners, but when you when you put the game, uh, each pilot or every every different ship that you choose, you have you will have different uh, specific tokens that they will play with. And it has this big tray where you have the common lasers and resources and stuff. And then you have this other tray with tokens already that you can organize really quick for that particular pilot or ship. So that's great. And the ships also, they have a lot of, uh, they add a lot of uh, variants, which also, uh, it as a result, gives more replayability because every ship is different. Some of them, they can hold more things than the other ones. Some of them are stronger than other ones. And some of the other ones, they have different abilities and so on. So that adds a lot of replayability from this, this small game. So definitely, at least from my point of view and from Solo BG Podcast point of view, it's a game that you should try. You should check it out. And if, of course, if you're a solo gamer and that's why you're here, definitely, you know, try to try to get your hands on. So now let's jump into number four, and we're gonna go around the circle again. Mr. Wiles, what is your number four for 2020? So number four is a game that Jonathan introduced me to. I had heard Tom Vassell talk about it at the end of last year about how, uh -huh. you know, I, I think he even said like, hey, if I got this earlier, uh, it might have been on my top 10 list. In fact, even though I just got it late in the year, it's probably my most played game or something to that effect. Uh, okay. And it's a trick-taking game. Uh, I grew up playing lots and lots and lots of Euchre. I got taught uh, as a kid, so I played it at every Thanksgiving and every holiday uh, on both sides of the family, there were Euchre players, so Euchre was a big part of my life growing up. So trick-taking is a fun formula uh, to see now as a board gamer that there's so much variation you can do with that simple mechanism. And now, I, this, had, I, had, I had to stop you there just to give a, a disclosure there for my friends. Sure. Uh, Euchre, it's a game that, at least for me, that I come from Texas, and then I spent some time in North Dakota and now here in, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Euchre, it's a game that I found, and I did a little bit of my research, for some reason... It's very popular here on the Midwest of the U.S. and the Midwest area in the U.S. But there's a lot of places in the world that we have no idea what Euchre is, Caleb. So, sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, so you have to help us with that a little bit. <laughs> well, the simplest thing is it's a trick-taking game. So uh, there are lots of trick-taking games out there. Uh, basically, one player plays a card, and then everyone else has to play a card of the same suit, and the highest card wins. If you don't have a card of that suit, you can play uh, what's known as a trump card. So in that case, the highest trump would win. Um, okay. And there's lots of decision-making that, you know, exists in that space. Uh, but it's also a game that sort of plays itself. So sometimes when you're playing Euchre, uh, you're just playing the long game. And you look at your hand, you go, okay, well, this round I'm basically out. Or, ah, oh, this round, you know, it's so good I have to, uh, uh, you know, I have to go alone and try to get, you know, the, the most amount of points, even though it's the highest risk. So it, in some ways, it's sort of like playing blackjack, where it's fun, there's definitely strategy, but... In other ways, you know, there's a, there's sort of a perfect way to play, and uh, you know, there's books on euchre strategy, and you could have a computer play uh, and do pretty well, sort of thing. Uh, and what I like about the crew is that it really takes you out of that, where every single game is going to be so different. There's so many scenarios that you play, and the the big change to this for people who haven't seen it is you play a trick-taking game, but it's cooperative, so everybody at the table is on the same team. And everybody, uh, you know, will, will have the same 
scenario goal they're trying to achieve. So, for example, if Derek gets dealt uh, uh, a blue five, then what, the, what that is, the game is telling you is that we need to make sure that Derek wins the trick with the blue five. Um, and we all have to think about how we can arrange for that to happen. It doesn't matter who wins the tricks. Otherwise, it's literally that's the only thing that you have to make happen. So sometimes a round can be you know, uh, one minute. Sometimes the round can be longer. Uh, but it's just so much fun. I've never played a game of this where I wouldn't have continued playing. It was normally like, oh, people have to leave or something. It's the kind of game I could just play all night. So uh, definitely in my top uh, five for this year. That's number four, The Crew. Let me give the BGG perspective really quick. Uh, the rank overall, it's in it's in number 50, so it's very high there. So it's on the 50, uh, you know, most favorite games from Board Game Geek. It has a rating of 8.0 uh, and is the crew, the quest for Planet 9. That's the official name. It was released in 2019. Uh, it's two to five players. It plays in 20 minutes, like Kelly was mentioning, very fast game. And I played this game also with Kelly and Jonathan, and some games were even way shorter than 20 minutes. It was like five minutes or so. Uh, it plays H10 Euro Plus. Uh, the complexity weight is two out of five. So if you're familiar with Euchre and you happen to be from the Midwest, well, then you will be very familiar with the game. The designer is uh, Thomas Singh. Uh, the artist is Marco Ambrister and is published, is published by Cosmos, at least here on the US. And he also got a prize on 2020 and one of the prizes from the uh, Spiel the Yard. Um, so... Uh, you know, this is a game, like I said, that I play with you, uh, Caleb. Does he has a solo mode, though? I don't think so, right? Because of the mechanic, the mechanisms of the game wouldn't allow it to do solo. No, I don't think it doesn't have a solo mode. Uh, I know Jonathan has played the two-player variant. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't played that. It doesn't sound as interesting to me uh, as playing with sure. a group of people. Uh, I, I will mention one slight negative, uh, depending on your group, is that Unlike most cooperative games where, for example, in Pandemic, there's there might be a right answer uh, for a specific situation, but you can work together and kind of, you know, piece that puzzle together, uh, you know, as a group. In this game, there might be a right answer, but because it's hidden information, if you don't see that right answer, uh, you might just mess it up. So if you play with the right group and everybody's, like, willing to make mistakes and willing to laugh at themselves, I don't think you'll have a problem. But if there's somebody at the table who has a little bit of like trepidation about looking dumb or missing something uh, in front of their friends, then this game really can put them on the spot because sometimes it's very obvious at the end of the game who who uh, caused the team to lose. I have to say that when we play, I was a dumb one. But anyway, that's a big <laughs> disclosure. Over there. Jonathan, let's go to your number four, which, you know, it sounds familiar to what we're talking here. So go for it. So the crew is also on my list. Um, so I go. won't. Um, go into as much detail since Caleb did a very nice job of explaining the game. Uh -huh. um, but I would agree it is easy to learn, especially if you are familiar with trick-taking games. Um, and even if you're not from the Midwest and have um, <laughs> the familiarity with Euchre, um, yeah. some of the other games that I've played um, besides that, and I kind of grew up playing like Hearts and Spades and Euchre, so I had those. But um, last year uh, for Christmas, I got both of the Fox and the Forest games. And I'm like, oh, these are great. You know, two-player trick-taking games, one's competitive, one's cooperative, and then the crew came out, and I'm like, this is even better. And I, and I love those other two <laughs> games, but um, for other yeah. gamers that have played the Fox in the Forest games, it's the same kind of idea with those trick-taking games as well. So if you like those, I think you would like this. Um, and I think it's good for people that are lighter gamers, too. Like, um, you know, you don't have to be into the heavier games, and I know you talked about the weight of this game, um, yeah. you know, being a little, little bit lower, and I think it is a good entryway into trick-taking games for people. 
Um, like Caleb said, I have played the two-player variant again. Um, during COVID, it's been kind of nice to have two-player games. Um, it's a little bit different. Um, so the, what it does is there is an AI in the game called Jarvis. Um, so if you're a fan of Iron Man and the name Jarvis, there you go. Cool. <laughs> um, but what it does is it um, puts up uh, a couple rows of cards. The, the top row is face up, so you do have some information. Um, but you don't know what's under those cards. So unlike the regular game where everybody kind of has their set hand, um, things that you know could change. And it um, is a little interesting. Like Caleb said, it's not quite um, as exciting that way because you may know there's no yellow cards left. But if you flip over a card that he has, then yellow might be on the board again. And it kind of changes what your strategy is. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to play the game somewhat differently than you normally would if you had a group of three or more people. But um, I thought it was still a decent variant, and it was at least good to play the game. Um, probably my biggest negative is, um, especially now, um, and getting excited about this game, we'll go to a game night with a different group of people, and we'll say, oh, we should take the crew. This is such a fun game. And then you start yeah. a mission one. In the crew, there's 50 missions, and it w- would be nice to finish all 50 missions, but every time you introduce it, you always kind of want to start at the beginning. So hopefully okay. we can just have a set group and play it all the way through, but... Um, it's been a little frustrating to restart every time we teach a new group to play it. Mm-hmm. I was going, I was going to talk about that, you know, because when I played it, I remember we play. I remember a little bit of the game, to be honest with you. I remember, you know, it was like you mentioned a trick-taking game, and you know, one thing that I like is that in these games, there's no way that an alpha player can can do too much, you know, because like I said, you can give hints, you can give kind of clues, but at the same time, everybody's doing their own thing, um, trying for the main goal, right, T- towards the main goal. But one of the things that I remember, it was that we play one mission, and then there was another mission. It was a little bit of flavor text, I, I believe. Uh, and you already mentioned it, there's 50 missions. So I know 50 missions, it's like a lot of times to play. You, If you if you are like me and you count every time that you play, you have you get 50 times out of a small box that I believe the, the retail price is less than $20 or something like that, American dollars. But... Since the games tend to be so fast, why would you think it will be the replayability if you already went through the whole 50 games? Which, once again, it's a lot from a small game. Uh, speaking that, when we get these big box, big boxes, epic games, we struggle, some people, like me at least, to play uh, a game 10 times just because... Um, well, me in particular, because I have to play more for the podcast, but I know also for gamer gamer friends that they don't have it, they're, on a, they're not content creators or anything. Sometimes it's hard to play more than six, seven times a particular game. So what would you, what would you feel about the replayability, Jonathan? Do you think it's there? Do you think every time that you play it feels different? Um, what is your input there? Um, well, I think like you said, I think when I got it, the retail price is like $15. So even if you do play it straight through 50 times perfectly, I think you get your money's worth. Yeah. Um, obviously that's not going to happen and you're going to screw up and learn different things and try again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as you go, I mean, it does have more regulations on, um, you know, who has to win which trick first or, um, you know, beyond, you know, just this person has to win the trick with this card. So they do add more restrictions and make it more puzzly and, and um, strategic that way. Yeah. Now, after I finished the 50 missions, I don't know like if I would want to play it as much, but I know they are coming out with another um, version. Um, I don't know what the differences are going to be besides the theme. Um, so that would be an option if you do complete all 50 missions of um, this game. I know there's going to be another the crew game coming out, I believe, next year. So okay. that would be an option kind of once you get through 
the original storyline, but I think it'll still be a good one to keep on hand just to teach new people since it's such a good and quick game. I'm pretty sure it will be yeah. the, the crew Cthulhu, probably, since everything is Cthulhu. <laughs> Caleb, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to mention one thing for people who aren't familiar with the game. Uh, we're using the word scenario in the same way we might use a scenario for you know, uh, a dungeon crawl, where you know, sometimes the exploration you do the first time you play that scenario is where some of the fun comes from. And I would say in the crew, I would think of the scenarios more as uh, like dials that you're adjusting. Uh, okay. For difficulty, and you know, it, it would be the same thing as saying that uh, you know, pandemic. You know, every single time you play just vanilla regular pandemic, the goals are the same. So you could say, well, that game only has one scenario. So once you played it once, you know, you don't need to play it again. When really the the variability and the replayability comes from other things like the order of the uh, cubes, the order of the cards that they come out, and that's the same thing you'll find. Uh, with the crew. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, like when you, when you play poker, like every game of poker is going to be a little bit different because there's so many cards and so many variations in the probabilities. And it's crazy to think because with a dollar, you can go to the dollar store and get a, a deck of poker cards and you can get a lot of replayability from that dollar. So from mm -hmm. this, <laughs> from this, you're getting at least 50 games, like Jonathan mentioned. If, if you play through the whole thing and you successfully defeat every scenario without any fail, you will uh, conquer planet nine, I believe it was called, and uh, you uh, you know you will win the game. But still, like I mean, 50 times out of a small box, it's a lot of times, a lot of play time. So so I think it's like Jonathan when we were mentioning, very well uh, worth it. And you know, expected in 2021, Cthulhu the crew most likely. You know, since everything is Cthulhu, or it will be zombies the crew, or or dinosaurs the crew. Any of those three themes right now is a success. So. I'm pretty sure the crew team from Cosmos will, you know, pull something like that. And talking about Cthulhu, my friends, let's jump into my number four. Because you know, Caleb and Jonathan, that I love all the universe of HP Lovecraftian and stuff. I'm not a fan of HP Lovecraft, I have to say, after doing research of the kind of person he was. <laughs> but I like the, the universe that, that he created with these literature stories and stuff. Uh, and especially all the Elder Gods like Cthulhu. And with that being said, my number four, it's Cthulhu Dead May Die. Uh, it's a game that is published by Simon Games, is designed by uh, Rob W. and Eric M. Lang, which uh, we all know that Eric, Eric M. Lang is one of the most famous designers out there. Uh, we all, the three of us, I believe, we own games from Eric M. Lang, and we usually have very good times when we play these games. Um, it plays one to five players, age 14 euro plus, and on Board Game Geek it has a complexity uh, of a weight complexity of 2.4 out of five, which I think it's probably a little bit lower. Uh, and it's uh, the rating is 8.2, and rank overall it's in place 226. It's a super thematic game. It's a classic dice juggler. I think that's how they call it, dice juggler. And um, Super Ameritrash, which I don't like that category, but I mean, the, the way that people refer to that category, because this is probably my fifth category, but it's a classic Ameritrash where you are basically crawling through the dungeon or through the scenario. Um, it, I have to say, though, that you will think, oh, well, there's a lot of Cthulhu games out there. There's, you know, all the Arkham horrors, and you got the Mansions of Madness, and you have the Eldritch Horror, you have the Elder Sign, you have the Arkham Horror LCG, and most of them 
come from Fantasy Flight. This one, though, it's even if it's an American trash as well, I'm saying it again, um, it feels completely different, at least for me, in my experience, in my fun, in my perspective of the game. Basically, on the on the main box, you will have you will get six episodes because these boxes are gonna come in season. So you get season one, the main box, and you get Cthulhu in an amazing, crazy miniature, and you get Baby Cthulhu just like Baby Jora. Well, here's Baby Cthulhu. It's the little small Cthulhu that is gonna be jumping into the into our land and trying to destroy us as well. So you're gonna have the a scenario. You're gonna open a box which is from each episode, and it's gonna have a setup, a little bit of flavor text, and then you're gonna set up the uh, the the map, and it's already there. You don't have to explore anything. Then you're gonna have your mission: either collect certain certain books to disrupt uh, the ritual, or to collect certain artifacts to disrupt the ritual. You always trying to start dis- to disrupt the ritual. Now it has a very interesting mechanic that the elder god that you decide to fight to fight against, or in this case, my favorite Cthulhu, the, it will be there will be a track on top. So you will go through the action phase, you know, like every other game, you're going to move, you're going to try to fight, to defend yourself, things, explore things like that, which actually you don't explore, you're just moving because the map is already out there. But then when there is the mythos phase, like in any Lovecraft game, there's a mythos phase, um, you're going to flip sort of like event cards that is going to dictate certain things that are going to happen in the turn. Now, these uh, event cards, they're also going to have a symbol, which I think is called the Elder Symbol or something like that. Summon Symbol. It's called the Summon Symbol. If you get three of those, that means that three turns, you have already three of those cards in your discard pile, Cthulhu, in this case, or the other god that you choose, will activate, and they will move one on the track to the right. Once they reach to the middle of the track, the elder god will jump in to our area, and he's going to start to fight us. But as the game keeps progressing, every time that you get three of those cards, you shuffle again, and you keep advancing now a token if you don't have the elder god anymore there. And if the token gets all the way to the end, you lose the game. If any of the characters die, you lose the game as well. Now, the gimmick of the game is that you want to disrupt the ritual as soon as possible because when you disrupt the ritual, what you cause is from that Elder God or Cthulhu to jump into your area sooner instead of you trigger, triggering by their uh, you know, track. And that's helpful because at the end of the day, that will translate to for you to have more time to kill that uh, Elder God. Now, it has a very interesting mechanic as well, where the characters, the more crazy they get, or the more insane they get, the better abilities they get as well. So sort of like a John Wick type-ish, like, you know, you hit me, you hit me, and I get more powerful and more, I want more revenge. But in this case, you get better abilities, better things that you can do, but at the same time, you get closer to be defeated. And this is basically a very brief description of Cthulhu Dead May Die. I highly recommend it. I had the opportunity to play it at least nine times this year. Uh, I play it solo, I play it cooperative, and every single time I have a blast. Caleb, I remember you and I, we played it together back in January, and then I believe Jonathan on a game night here at my house, I also brought it to the table. Do you remember, you guys, the experience that you got with the game? Yeah, I remember, I remember it well. I'm a big fan of Eric Lang. Uh, I was a little bit dubious about this one because I'm not a Cthulhu fan too much. Uh, and I heard it was just a dice chucker. And uh, I'm about to give the game a big compliment that sounds, sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it's yeah. not meant that way at all. Like, this is just really good, dumb fun. Like, 
It's yeah. just like a party. It's not a party game in like the telestration sense, but just like get out the monsters, have them march around, uh, you know, roll some dice. And like you said, that element uh, of the mechanics where the, the worse you do, the more powerful you are. So as you continue to yeah. you know, get closer and closer to madness, you get more and more powerful and like, so it's fun either way. Like either you you are successful or you're not successful, and you get more powerful. So uh, it's a really fun game. Jonathan, well, I only played it that one time, so I don't remember it as well. But um, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about Cthulhu, and um, I'm also not like a huge Cthulhu fan. Um, I oh think come on, guys! I'm the only <laughs> one there here on the on the table. <laughs> I mean, we, we all have the Arkham Horror the card game, but. Um, yeah. But besides that, like I don't really like seek out something with that kind of theme. If if I can get something similar, that's not. Um, yeah. But I remember really <clears throat> enjoying it, and I think, you know, that was a good game with that theme that like I would possibly buy or that I would want to play again compared to other ones that have been out for a long mm-hmm. time. I feel like you don't get bogged down with as much of the. I feel like sometimes some of those games are just so rules heavy, and there's so much <clears throat> that you have to learn and know yeah. what's going on. So many mechanisms. Where this one, you know, like you said, it's a dice chucker. Um, and you, I felt, you know, that fun that Caleb was talking about playing it. I definitely remember that. Yeah, and definitely, Caleb, you're right, because um, in this game, even if you play through the six different episodes from the main box, and you get two main Elder Gods that you can mix and match with the episodes in that way, in theory, if you win every game, you will get 12 games out of the same, uh, of, of the main box. I mean, it's still like, you don't have to, I mean, it's cool to play through episode one, then episode two, then episode three, but you really don't have to because the stories there, yes, try to be connected just with a little bit of flavor text, but in in reality, they're not. And the characters are so fun to play. You have Rasputin there, you have, uh, I think it's called Morgan, which is like uh, a black version of Indiana Jones, and you have a little creepy girl that's all that she does in her backstory is scream, uh, and you know, and and she's running around, she's like a possessed little girl and killing everybody, and I remember, I, I think, Caleb, you were playing with Rasputin when we played the first time, and he wants to die and come back to life or something like that, I don't remember exactly what it was, so very fun, very cool, and I definitely recommend it, I think Solo it's fantastic, cooperative. It plays very well as well. Um, this game, though, I mean, it's it's more fun that even if there was an alpha player on the table, I don't think these games can be affected by, by that because, like, we were talking, it's more about the fun. It's a classic and merry trash where you're rolling dice, trying to have a good time, trying to have an adventure. And if you are like me, that you enjoy the Cthulhu theme, well, here you get crazy, fantastic, top-notch miniatures because, of course, it's Simon or Camon or... Cool mini or not. And what are they good at? Doing miniatures. So there you go. You get a little plastic from there. And that was my number four. Now let's jump into Caleb, your number three. I'm excited to hear what is your number three because as we get close to number one, the tension grows and we start to get more, you know, critic of every other games that we hear on the table here. Yeah. So my number three is actually if I had to rank the games from like some, you know, objective ranking of which one on my list is the quote-unquote best game, I think Mm -hmm. this probably would be the best game. It's not my favorite game on my list, but it's uh, certainly one of my favorites in the collection, and it's amazing that they were able to even design this game to work, Uh, and that is Spirit Island. Okay. Um, I think we only got to, you guys only got a chance to play this once uh, this year, Uh, Mm -hmm. but I've played it a bunch solo, uh, and if you're not familiar with it, it's basically, uh, you know, there's a lot of board games where 
you're colonizing uh, some area and you've got hexes or something and you're adding people and building villages. And this is sort of the opposite of that. It's like anti-colonization. So uh, in this place, in this uh, game, the island has its inhabitants and you are the spirits of the island, hence the title. And you're trying to use fear to stop the settlers from coming in and settling uh, the land and taking it from the uh, inhabitants. And what makes this game so crazy cool is that when you choose a spirit, every spirit plays uh, very differently. So each deck that you pick up, you know, is a new play style. And there's a little bit of a learning curve for each one, but they have complexity ratings. So you can start with an easy one or work your way up to more complex. And at this point, they also have now um, some expansions you can purchase. Uh, but at the end of playing any character, I'm always happy to play that character again uh, or pick up a new one. It's one of those things where uh, there's so much depth and complexity in the choices you make that, uh, you know, learning how to really master one spirit is interesting to me. And starting over with a new spirit and seeing what they can do and how they play is also really interesting to me. Um, so this one sat on my shelf uh, of shelf of shame, maybe longer than any other game I had. I bought this at a board game auction, I think, last year. And it was really high in my list, but everybody I had heard talk about it mentioned how difficult it was to learn. So, you know, I would sort of have it sitting there. I would think maybe I'll pick it up and then I would get a new game and I would play that one instead. And then when I finally sat down and learned it, uh, I wanted to smack myself in the forehead because <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> such a good game. And I hate that it sat there uh, for those few months. But I think this one for the right group, th this could be a game where, like I said, when I was a kid, I played Euchre all the time. I think there could be people who just play Spirit Island and their game night is just getting together to play Spirit Island because there's just so much variety and depth. Uh, it's just really a great game. So with what you said, do you think this will be the game that if you're going to get lost in an island, in an actual island, and you can only bring one game with you, this will be it? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, it's not. there are other games that I like more, even though they might not be as mechanically, uh, have as much variety or you know work that well together. Mm -hmm. Um so man, that's a tough that's a tough one, but certainly I wouldn't be uh, opposed to being stuck on a, an island with this game because. Okay, let me man. tell you what BGG said about the game. Uh, they rank it overall number thirteen, my friend. So this is almost on the top ten of on on BGG, which is crazy. Uh, it has a rating of eight point three. It was released in two thousand seventeen. Uh, it's designed by Eric Ross or Reus. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Uh, or reuse, sorry. <laughs> and it plays one to four players at 90 to 120 minutes, which I have an input on that. Uh, H13 Euro Plus. The weight complexity, I think I dare to say that this is probably going to be the most complex game of our lists. Uh, and it's four out of five. So it's a it's a complex game. I don't know which one will be more complex, though. If you think, uh, I don't know if, if, if Jonathan, you have experienced um, Mage Knight. But Caleb on, and Jonathan as well, I, I throw this question for both of you. Do you think this is more complex than Mage Knight from Blada Chibatil? Or or you think Mage Knight is, is still the king of the complexity on, on solo games? Yeah, I think Mage Knight is going to be more complex. One of the things okay. about Spirit Island is once you learn it, a lot of the... Uh, mechanics make sense and I, I remember I, I remember teaching it to you guys and sort of sure. like warning you like hey we're gonna play this game you're not gonna understand everything <laughs> this is a learning game just stick with it I remember even being like because we were trying to play a bunch of games at night I was like if you guys after <laughs> after the explanation don't want to continue or you just want to play a few rounds we don't have to finish the whole game I was sort of like building you up but and even every, that being and, 
And I remember telling you, like, as long as you make me a piña colada, I will be fine. That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> uh, but once you have it, I feel like it makes more sense. Versus uh, Mage Knight, I think, is just it shows its age. I love Mage Knight. But the rule yeah. book is hard to, to grok. And, uh, you know, going back to it, you sort of start from scratch. And there's two, two actual rule books to try to go through. And the rules are separated. So uh, I think it's much more difficult to learn Mage Knight than it is to learn Spirit Island. Jonathan, what memory? What memories do you have from Spirit Island? I know we were there together on that night. Yeah, I mean, I've never played Mage Knight, so all I know is what I hear from you guys or other podcasts and reviews and things. Um, okay. But I remember when Caleb, you know, gave us that preface and explained the game, and like even partway through the game, he was like, you know, we can quit after this round if you want. Like, that's fine. You can play other <laughs> games. And like neither neither of us wanted to quit. We're like, we just want to we we want to see this through. We want to finish the game. Yeah. Um. You know, so I think like once we got into it, it it made a lot of sense and. You know, we weren't turned off by the complexity. And, you know, like Caleb said, like, once you learn it, it's not as bad. It's just kind of that initial um, learning curve that you have to get through. And then um, I think it went really smoothly after that. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure it's very hard to say something bad about this game because this is one of the most beloved games out there for from solo gamers. I mean, you see it all the time on the Facebook group. You see it on Twitter. You see it on Instagram. You see it on reviewers, you know, talking about Spirit Island. I personally don't own a copy of Spirit Island, but I ha I, I feel like I'm I'm forced to get a copy because, I mean, having a solo board game podcast, Spirit Island should should have, uh, you know, their own his own episode. But one thing, Caleb, and this is a question for you, of course, uh, that I wanted to ask you is, do you think this game plays better solo or cooperative? The reason why, before you answer, is because I remember that night we were, we were, I wanted to keep playing to see what happened, you know, to explore the game more. And because, like I said, everybody talks wonderful about Spirit Island. Everybody. I haven't heard anybody complaining about the game. Um from solo gaming standing point, right? So do you think this game plays better solo or cooperative? And the reason why is because, once again, I wanted to stay to see how it happened, but I remember it was a long game. It was definitely more than 120 minutes, probably. Uh, so my perspective from that from that time, which was only one play time, uh, I remember thinking, like, okay, this game, it's, it's different for sure, but I probably wanted to play it solo just because of time-wise. What do you think? Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, yeah, I bet you it probably took us two and a half or three hours that first night. Yeah. But that being said, I mean, probably it took me 30 minutes to even explain the game, I feel like, before mm. we even started. Um, it definitely, it, they even make fun of it in the rule book uh, when they talk about the spirits. Uh, they say, like, you know, certain spirits like to work together to, you know, math out every possible scenario. And you can certainly play that. And in that case, it's like Mage Knight, where I, I know I've played games of mage night where i've spent 20 or 30 minutes on one turn myself where i'm just like <laughs> yeah. trying to figure it all out like a like a spreadsheet math problem and yeah. you can do that with this game and the more people you have so we had three it's not like three players takes you know you know 33 more than two players or whatever the math works out to be it's like every new player really ramps up how much longer i think it takes so i don't okay. know that i'd want to play this higher than three at least from my experience so far um, but I think one or two players is sort of the sweet spot, at least for me. Um, okay. But it also says in the game, you know, in the rule book, you can also just play uh, and maybe be a little less strategic. You're, obviously, you're not going to win as often. Um, but one of the things I like about this game, I think we probably played somewhere in the middle of that, where sometimes we were like, I'm just going to do this. And you weren't actually yeah. looking to see 
what I was going to do, and Jonathan, you said, I'm doing this. I would say, okay, that, well, based that, on that. That's Derek. Yeah, that's Derek. Yeah, sure. Like, hey, <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. But every time I play this game, like, it, it's really cool because you'll, you'll think, like, there's no way we can win. Like, guys, we're way off. We're, there's no <laughs> way we can win. And then you'll win, and then you realize, like, one more turn you would have lost. And it's happened the other way where, you know, I've lost, and then I think, damn it, in one more turn I would have won. And I just think that's really yeah. cool that this is a game that has all these variable player powers and, like, it's just crazy how it can scale and you can have different spirits that play differently and yet it always seems to come right down to the wire. So there you go. There you have it. Spirit Island, that was your number uh, four, right? We're still number four, yeah. yeah no, uh, number three. No, number three, number three. Then, um, Jonathan, your number three. Hit us, hit us, Jonathan, with your knowledge of board games. Well, guess what? I have another small box entry as my third uh, game on the list. So That's right, yeah. We, we, like, we like small boxes, too. Go for it. So if you're looking for economical games, this is the third one that's probably under $30. Um, so the official name is Super Skill Pinball 4K. Um, that's by Jeff Engelstein from WizKids. I usually just call it the pinball game because that's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, but this is also a relatively new game um, from the end of the year. Um and basically what it is, is um, it's a roll and write game. It comes with four different pinball boards that you can play. Um, and you just uh, roll the dice, depending on what you get. You pick one of the values. You start from the top of the pinball board and kind of work your way down, just like you would normally expect from a pinball game. Um, you know, marking off different targets that you hit, different special abilities that you trigger based on the numbers. Um, you get down to the bumpers, and you have to mark off a number um, from the bumpers. Um, and that'll determine like how long you can go, any special abilities you unlock, um, and you play through that for three rounds, um, and then you just uh, see what your total score is. Um, if you're playing solo, you just try to beat your previous score. If you're playing um, competitively, you just try to beat the other person. Um, but I think um, for me, not having played a ton of roll and writes, um, it was super yeah. thematic. Like you definitely feel like you're playing pinball. Um, each of the four different boards are pretty different. The mechanics are the same, but they have different, um, either like little mini games inside of the board, um, different overall themes. So, um, you know, you can play through the different ones and it'll each feel like a, a little bit of a different game. Um, I think really the only downside I have, um, if you like um, playing competitive games that are different, it plays exactly the same. You don't play any differently competitively than you would solo. Um, I guess the only difference would be if you see, you know, if your score is close to... Um, you know, yours or Caleb's, Derek, um, mm -hmm. you would try to maybe push your luck and try to, you know, get one more ball up there to get a higher score. But mechanically, you play exactly the same way. Um, so that could be a, you know, a pro or a con for, for some people since it is um, basically, you know, four people playing a solo game. Um, but it does come with four boards. Hopefully there will be more options. Um, but I don't know if they would have what they would call that if they do add more boards, since it's called um, a 4K. So I don't know what the expansions will be called. I know Caleb and I have talked about this a couple times on um, kind of the clunky naming of the game. But um, besides that, it's, it's been a great game. It's a great solo game, um, and it's quick. So especially for me, you know, not as big of a solo solo gamer as you two. Um, it's, it, yeah, surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's been a lot of fun and it's um, easy to teach. So this is, again, a good kind of entry game into, I guess, the roll and write genre and, you know, kind of lighter solo games. You know what, Jonathan? Uh, as you know, and just as you are not a big solo gamer, um, I'm not a huge roll and write gamer. 
But recently, the Roll and Write games have proved me wrong. I actually play, well, the last one that I played that I really enjoyed, it was with you guys, Cartographers. Mm-hmm. And I had a blast. I mean, that's a, that's a great Roll and Write game. And then Welcome to, I used to hate it. I played it again. I still don't like it, but now I don't hate it. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm getting a, a, you know, I got a, you know, a decent experience. Then which one, which one was, oh, I, I started to learn, to learn, I'm sorry, another one that is called uh, Four Against the Darkness, which is sort of like a D&D, choose your own adventure uh, rolling ride. And I also play with you, Caleb, the one that you have with the rock band. What is it called uh, from the board game table company? Uh, on tour on tour yeah that one i had a blast as well so i feel like i should be playing more rolling rights and i would put myself on the position from from some probably amazing listeners that they haven't played this game yet um you know what I'm, i know it's a rolling right but you mentioned something that is thematic that you feel like you're playing a pinball arcade with that being said um, what what about the replayability? Is it always the same game, like you know, with the classic pinball arcades that it's only one machine and the only thing that changes is the Star Wars theme or the James Bond theme or the 80s, 70s uh, disco, whatever theme? That's, how does the replayability on this game? Um, I still think it's pretty good. Um, you know, kind of like any pinball game, you could play it once and do amazing, and then you play mm-hmm. it again and you just uh, you know lose in the first five minutes. That can happen in this game. You know, mm-hmm. if you just kind of you know pick the take a bad result on the die or you know um you just kind of get unlucky rolls you really could um mm-hmm. you know just ruin your game um there's a mechanic where you can um change the value on a die and you kind of pressure your luck and if the next roll um you know if the difference between the two die to two dice is lower than the number you changed it then you automatically lose that round so there is a little yeah. bit of a pressure luck mechanic in there that could make you lose a lot quicker but um it really does make you make it feel like you're playing pinball um i haven't played all four boards yet but um you know there is one that's kind of more of a basic one but um more of like the cyberpunk or like the the futuristic um techie one like that one has a whole separate mini game in the top of the board that um, the other ones don't have so each board definitely feels like you're playing a different pinball game it's not like you're just playing the star wars one and then you play a, a reskin version and it's you know Beetlejuice or um, Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever theme, but with sure. the same mechanics. So the rules pretty much stay the same, but each board is going to feel different. So I, I think it's enough where you would enjoy, you know, playing through the different four boards. So there you go. And I, I will have to try it probably once once we hit better times. Hopefully by January, I might, you know, borrow it from you to give it a try as well. Because I remember, I mean, I'm very bad at pinball games on real, on real life, but I mean, I always enjoy it when I put a couple of coins there and start to play. So uh, we'll see how it goes with this one. Now, BGG, what it says BGG about pinball, uh, it's super skill pinball 4K. Uh, it has a re- rank overall of 2,911, 7.5 of the rating, 1 to 4 players, age 12 year plus, 30 minutes playtime, and the complexity is only 1.67 out of 5. So, with that being said, let's jump into my number three. Well, sorry, Caleb, do you have anything to add with the Pinball Arcade, since you already played that game as well? Yeah, just two quick things. So, one, if you want to try this, uh, the company put out the first level, the first uh, machine, uh, out for free on BGG. So, you can go look in the file section and uh, print it out, and yeah, you're you're good to go. Uh, So, that's Mm -hmm. how I originally came into contact with this, and then Jonathan and I played it. Uh, I will say that it's extremely thematic, uh, and like okay. Jonathan mentioned, that can be a good thing and a bad thing, because 
in solo games, I typically don't like beat your own score, especially if there's a lot of variation, like, oh, a couple of extra lucky rolls really, you know, it's almost like at a certain point you can know, like, okay, this run is not even worth pursuing. It's not going to hit the high score. And then another time you might just get lucky, lucky, lucky. But on the other hand, that is literally how pinball is played. So you're just trying for that high score, and sometimes you get lucky. So, uh, like I said, it's thematic to the core. Sounds good. There you go. A little bit of add-ons to this game. Before I jump into my number three, let's listen to a quick message from our sponsor. Are you looking for that Kickstarter game that you missed during the Kickstarter campaign? Are you looking for that awesome and mythic expansion for one of your favorite board games? Are you sad because you didn't got the Kickstarter version of that game? Or perhaps you are like me and like to get a game with Kickstarter exclusive components and stretch goals. Well, don't look any further and go right now to kickstartergames.com. There you will find Kickstarter board games, expansions, Kickstarter exclusive content, graphic novels, RPG novels, toys and collectibles, and much more. Kickstarter Games is my favorite site to go and get those amazing games that I want to have on my gaming collection. Plus, they offer free shipping in the US when you spend $99 or more. And if that wasn't enough, right now you can get a 15% off if you use the code SOLOBG. That's right, use the code SOLOBG altogether and obtain 15% off from your total purchase. So go right now and check it out while you listen to this episode. Once again, www.kickstartedgames.com and enjoy all those amazing games. Okay, so now it's time to talk about my number three and believe it or not, big spoilers, I released this episode two episodes ago And it has been one of the most uh, successful, I would say, episodes. Like a lot of feedback from it. A lot of a lot of people were asking for this episode before, and it seems like a lot of people enjoy it. And I'm talking about my number three, which is a trip going back to the Middle Earth. And I'm talking about Lord of the Rings: Journeys in Middle Earth, which is let me get the the BGG perspective here. Is uh, published by Fantasy Flight Games, and it falls in that category. As Manchester Madness Second Edition, now the Imperial Assault game from Star Wars, where you have is an, an app, app, app base. Basically, you need to have your tablet, your your computer, your or your cell phone, whatever, to have an app there that it will be playing as the DM or dungeon master and guiding through through the whole adventure. Lord of the Rings, the rank overall on BGG actually is higher than I was expected. It's on on place 95. Uh, it has an 8.1 rating. Once again, it's published by Fantasy Flight. Uh, it has a complexity of uh, 2.5 out of 5. One to five players, age 14 year plus, 60 to 120 minutes. Designed by Nathan Hajek, Grace Holdinghouse, and once again by Fantasy Flight Games. You just going to immerse yourself in the adventures from J.R.R. Tolkien. That's it. You are gonna be on that universe. You're gonna have the main characters. You're gonna get Gimli. You're not gonna get Frodo, but you're gonna get Bilbo, right? We go with the uncle. Um, you're gonna get uh, Legolas. You're gonna get Aragorn. 
you're gonna get I don't remember the name of the female characters, but I think Elena is one, and um, I don't remember the other one. But you get the main characters from the novels. This is not a game that is based on the movies. But if we think on perspective, like I mentioned on the episodes, the movies are based on the books and they do a pretty good job. So you get the idea from it. You're going to be living the adventures on journeys in Middle Earth. What I'm trying to say is that you're not going to play the adventure of the Fellowship of the Ring of the Two Towers of the Return of the King. You're just going to play a different adventures. You're going to choose your heroes. If you're playing solo like me, you're going to choose two heroes. You're going to start to set up their deck of cards because in these games, you don't have dice. So it's sort of like a merry trash category, but it's like a dungeon crawler without dice. So that's cool. And basically with the app, you're going to be exploring the Middle Earth. You're going to play through a campaign, which at the beginning when you get the base game, I don't remember the, the name of the campaign exactly, but you go through a campaign and you can choose a difficulty, either uh, normal or hard. And then you start to play and the app will be telling you a quick introduction story. Very nice, uh, you know, narration, very nice vo voice acting there and very nice music, then you start to set up the map, it tells you what are your goals, and then you start to play with your heroes. On your turn, like most of the other games, you have two actions. You can either move, you can attack, or you can interact with characters or tokens that they will be previously placed, or probably placed on the map. The interesting thing of the mechanic, and what it makes it different to Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, which is one of my favorite games ever, is that instead of rolling dice, every uh, test that you're going to try to accomplish or every fight that you're going to try to accomplish or every time that somebody attacks you, the way that you're going to defend is through the cards. So it's sort of a deck building kind of ish because you will have town faces between each adventure that you can upgrade your deck, but at the same time it's not. So basically when you do an action that requires you to attack or to interact, you're going to be drawing cards from your deck of cards that you're going to start with. And if you reveal uh, success symbols, then you you're going to uh, input on the app how many success you got. And the, if it's a test, the app will tell you if you pass or not. If you're attacking an enemy, the equipment, the ammo equipment that you have on your character, it will tell you how many success you require in order to uh, hit a certain amount of damage, right? And it, every character will have stats as well. Uh, so, for example, if uh, Legolas is shooting with the arch and the arch has a, a particular stat, you're going to draw the amount of cards that that stat set. And once again, if you get the successes, you're going to be hitting that enemy. Sometimes also you're going to get like another symbols that they, I call them the focus symbols, sort of. But it's like a leaf, like a leaf from, you know, from a tree. And um, if you have influence tokens with you, uh, I think that's what, what they call influence tokens, then you can switch those tokens to be, to turn those symbols into success. And you're going to get these tokens by exploring different areas on the map or by doing different tasks or doing different things. So, for example, when you kill an enemy, you also, they're called inspiration tokens. I'm sorry. You get an inspiration token. And you're going to keep playing the game like that until you either win or lose that as a scenario. But don't worry. Even if you lose, you're still playing the campaign. You still... Uh, go to a town phase-ish kind of, like in the, in the, the you know med medieval fantasy adventures where you can upgrade your cards, upgrade your skills, and every character has a completely different deck of skills according to the kind of the role that you want to assign to your character. You can be a bogler, you can be a ranger, you can be a barbarian, let's say, right? Different roles that you can uh, assign to your characters and you will be playing through the whole adventure. After you play all the chapters of the campaign, then you will have, I don't want to spoil you, but then you will have an outcome that you either win or lose the campaign. I have played this game solo and I have played this game cooperative and you really, really, at least in me, I have been having a bunch of fun 
a blast every time. He plays very smoothly. I dare to say that the mechanic of the cards, I think I prefer them versus the dice rolling from Mansions of Madness. And I like that they did this with this game because in that way you can actually feel the difference between one game and the other one. What I don't like from this game is the art from the tiles. Because the tiles you see, they will have numbers, like let's say the hundreds, the 200, the 300s, and they will have A and B. So first of all, they all look the same. The art doesn't make any difference on, uh, you know, on, on those ones. And it's only slightly things that you need to pay attention that you will see like, oh, this one is different than the other one. Uh, but anyway, the, 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 the app will tell you like, okay, set up these, these, and these tile right like 100 256 312 and 147 a and b so you're going to be looking for those tiles on a big pile of tiles and then you're going to lay them and then it's in a particular orientation because it's sort of like a puzzle thing so that part of the game it really gives me headaches and i hate it that part just because the art on the tiles it looks the same in every single tile now when you go to manches of madness and caleb you have played manches of madness with me jonathan you have you have played manches of madness with me if you remember at least for me the art on the tiles of manches of madness is so beautiful well done i mean when you you get excited when you're discovering new new rooms from a mansion let's say because you're discovering new things more characters and the tiles they look cool they're very different to each other even if they if they share shapes the art is different it makes sense here it's only like woods everything is woods and i get it like it's you know if you watch the movies from lord of the rings all happening the in the over there in the wilderness but is i mean come on guys from fantasy fly you could do something with the art on the tiles and make it a little bit different or something that it will be easier for every time that you are revealing a new uh, when you move forward on the app and you can bring more tiles and basically how it's going to determine the the I guess the hard part of the game is after you do your actions, then is the enemy phase and the, you have will have a track on the app that it will increase every round by number. So let's say the, the total for that adventure is 60. And every time that it goes to enemy phase, it will add five or 10. So the track will keep advancing. If it reaches certain thresholds, I'm sorry, during the game, then bad things are going to happen. The enemies, is, they're going to attack you even harder or more enemies are going to spawn. But basically on the enemy phase, if there's enemies on the board, they will go ahead and attack you. You will try to defend yourself with the same cards. Or if there's no enemies and you reach that threshold, like I mentioned on that little bar, then more enemies are going to spawn. And basically you're going to be doing that, that, you know, those things over and over. Of course, the, the story will be different. Um, the scenarios will be different. There's some scenarios where you fight and sort of like more like a battle. There's some other that they focus more on exploration. There's other ones that they do a mix. So it's it's a great game. I think that I think the theme is great, at least for me. I really enjoyed the game. I went ahead and paint all the minis. I went ahead and buy the neoprene mat and all that I could. And I cannot wait to get that Gandalf expansion in the way I can do the mythic scene, you shall not pass. Um, you know, because this game, if if it has something, this game is the theme and how thematic and immersive feels. So I don't think you guys have played this one with me, but I can't wait to show you guys this game. And I know Caleb has been on your radar already for a while. So this is Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle Earth, my number three. Caleb, do you have any input? Jonathan, you're also, uh, uh, I know you like a lot of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, oh, go ahead, Caleb. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, this is one that I think COVID really affected us on because I know 
when it was coming out, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get this. And I just had so many games at the time. And I thought, oh, I, if I get something, it's going to have this big campaign, a, a big, long, big, epic game. I'm just not going to get it to the table right away. So I'm going to wait. And then I think you picked it up. So I thought, okay, well, I'll play it with Derek. And then COVID sort of hit and uh, <laughs> yeah. haven't got a chance to play it yet. So really looking forward to this one. Jonathan, you were saying something. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I really liked, you know, the app integration with Mansions of Madness. So um, I was looking forward to this because I do like the theme better. Um, I mean, I'm not like a huge into the books and some of those things just because it was a lot. Um, but mm-hmm. um, I do like that setting and that kind of universe. So I, I definitely think I'll like it when we get a chance to play it. Um, you know, I think some of the things you mentioned, um, I probably tend to like things that are determined by card play more so than um, some dice rolls. So I, I could see mm-hmm. that being a good um, aspect of it. So I definitely want to play it when we get a chance to get together and, and get this out. And now that you mentioned the app integration, sometimes some gamers are on the fence to, to play these games that they require technology, I guess, on the table. Uh, but this one, though, if you remember in Manchester Madness, there was a lot of times where we were, sol- where we were solving puzzles and you literally had to solve the puzzles on the app. Right, like you had to move certain things on the app and things like that. Uh, in this one, the app it's only to guide you and to keep you know the stats of the enemies and and that's it, and the threshold bar. Other than that, every single thing that you do is on the board. Every single thing that you do is with your cards. So I feel like that's a very good thing from Fantasy Flight to do it this way. In that way, it's basically sending the message out there, like yes, the app is here but just as a support and not as the, you know, as the game. And that's sometimes what keeps some players on the fence of getting these type of games. Anyway, that was my number three. Caleb, we're getting there, man. We're getting to the to the place where we all going to agree or we all going to disagree. Um, and I know you probably will disagree with me, <laughs> but here it comes. Let's go with your number two, my friend. So this one... It was really just has the fun factor. It's one of my best uh, gaming experiences of 2020. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we were playing a lot more solo games and we sort of had to uh, mm-hmm. you know, live in a different world where we weren't having our game nights. And around that time, I had purchased uh, Aftermath, which was my number two. Yeah. And I really, re- it's one of those games where this, the sense of adventure was so great. And there are certain things that happened in the game that just emerged from the situation I happened to be in. And I don't even know like how much of that is just pure dumb luck. And I had a great experience on that front or how much of it's designed into the game, because there's so many times, for example, uh, a specific one, you know, in aftermath, you play as these mice and you're, it's sort of like a mice and mystics vibe uh, by the same designer even. And you're moving around. One thing I really liked about it is that it has, um, all the map tiles, so the thing that you didn't like about Lord of the Rings just a second ago is completely yeah. taken care of, and I hope that they do this for every dungeon crawl kind of game uh, <laughs> in the future because yeah. it's so awesome. You just open up a book. It's sort of a uh, play a scenario, choose your path, open worldy kind of game, um, but not so open that you you know get lost and don't make any progress. It's, it's, a, it's like a game, uh, sort of like Gloomhaven, where there's like a living, breathing world, but unlike yeah. Bloomha- Bloomhaven, there's not 150 scenarios to get to that you know you're never actually going to finish. This one, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how many games I played, but 15 or 16 games, I think, uh, to beat it. And you level up your characters. It has deck boxes that you add your element or your uh, items to as you find them in the world. 
And uh, it's probably uh, far too easy. I think only once that I really come in 16 games uh, really close to completely losing. Um, and I was even playing with one rule that it wasn't until about uh, halfway through those games that I realized I was making the game much harder than actually the real book was making it. Yeah. Uh, and I still... Oh, yeah, I, rem- was- I remember you mentioned something like that, something that you were doing that was like yes. in a legendary mode. Yes, basically I was making it way harder myself to move around the map. Um, and because of that, you know, I, I still was winning the game. So it's uh, really good if you want to have like a family uh, game uh, night and try to play one of these kind of games and play through a campaign that actually makes sense, has an engrossing story, has amazing art, uh, and really it, more than a, probably any other game I've ever played really gives you a sense of a setting and being in a different world. So I was just playing this game nonstop, and the 16 games that I played of it, that wasn't even spread out over the course of the year. Like, that was all within a month or two. Um, so I really, really like this experience. There are a few nitpicky things here and there. Um, I got stuck at one point in the game. It's sort of like playing a video game and hitting a glitch. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the glitch was that there's one card in the deck that you sort of search through, uh, and you need that card. You need to encounter it at some point in order to get another card, which allows you to complete a mission to finish the game. And I just was at a point where I'm like, I've done everything in the game and I've won every single scenario. <laughs> what happened? And I look on BGG and someone yeah. else had the same scenario. Basically, I just cheated and searched through that deck, grabbed oh, that card. On, <laughs> well, the alter- so the alternative okay. is I would have had to play one of the other missions again and mm-hmm. then just search through that deck. So there's, let's say there's 25 cards in it. Every mm-hmm. Every mission you're going to play, pour, or, you know, buy four cards or encounter four cards. I would just have to hope that it would be, you know, in my encounter. So mathematically, I probably should have encountered it at some point, uh, yeah. but just the luck of the draw, I didn't. So it's a major issue at the time, but looking back, it's not that big of a deal. And this was just really great experience. It will be interesting uh, to do an episode in the future and have, you know, got you guys as a guest and probably some other content creators out there and talk about, you know. It's a word. I mean, I, I'm not saying because the situation, I know you, you explained yourself and you had to cheat somehow, you know, to, to defeat ones. But, uh, you know, the other day I was reading also in a post on Facebook, like, me, when I play solo, I usually don't, I mean, I don't cheat at all because what's the point, right? I mean, <laughs> you're trying to, to defeat the game. But the, I was surprised to, to read how many people they were coming up and saying, like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes I cheat when I'm playing solo and, and you know, I go back and change things and whatever. I mean, that would be interesting to talk about it, don't you think? Like I, like I said, me, I probably, I'm weird, and I enjoy losing sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. It's like, oh, man, I tried to do my best, now I want to try it again. But, but I mean, what is your input there? And, and Jonathan as well, I mean, even if you don't play solo too much, uh, like you were mentioning, do you, do you see yourself sometimes, like, cheating a little bit and, you know, making yourself, like, going back in time and change something or whatever in, in the matter of not that you forget something, like, actually cheat. To defeat, to defeat the game. So I, I should mention that I, uh, I don't cheat uh, to win a game. No, I, no, I, I know a... you don't. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. It's just, about, what do you think about the, the, the situation? No, no, no. I, I, think for, I think for solo games, it's actually okay. I, I mean, you're playing a game to have fun. So if there's something in the game that's preventing you from having fun, and you're playing a solo game, I don't think there's any problem with cheating. Um, I'm like a little OCD about things like that, so I like my rules to be, you know, exact. I, I know there's been many times at game night where we'll come up against a rule and we could easily just make a decision and we all agree on what the decision should be. Yeah. And I'm like stuck in the corner, like on BGG, searching on the forum because I must yeah. know 
the official answer. But the, I mean, really, the, the real answer is you shouldn't do that, right? You should just make the game play the game to have fun. In this case, though, the cheating was just uh, you know taking a card out of a deck that I there's no amount of skill that would let me get that card. It would just be amount of I would have to sink hours and hours and hours into the game. And I mean, like I said, this is a game where I literally won every scenario so it wasn't a question of am i going to last long enough to get that card it was just i don't want to sit here and play another 20 games and maybe or maybe not hit that <laughs> hit that card getting uh, that rabbit hole yeah sure yes yeah yeah but jonathan, a great game overall jonathan do you do you cheat in your unlock games well i guess i don't understand how you guys do it because i usually cheat and i do worse so i think i'm just bad <laughs> at solo games um but no i mean but i get what you're saying though i mean And I think a lot of times we get to some of those situations where it's like, well, can we math it out and figure out, like, if we forgot that or, like, if we changed that, that we would have done, like, can we do it without changing the game state? And I think when we can, we do. But, um, you know, I think um, I kind of have the same thought process or, like, if you get far enough, it's like, you know, I've still enjoyed it to this point And, like, I forgot about that. But, mm. like, whether I win or lose, like, I've had fun with this experience. So, yeah, um, you know, it, it just kind of depends. But, um I guess I don't play solo enough or, I mean, some of the kinds of games that, that you guys play, I know you guys play more in-depth solo games than I do, so I can see that coming up more often with those kind of things. Like, you don't want to go back and have to, like, start something over that you just spent three hours on, so. Um, yeah, I, and on, honestly, like, it happens to me, and just to share it here, like, when I play games, when I play solo games, which is, of course, my main, you know, um, hobby, <laughs> when I win, I actually, like, make sure that I when I actually go back and look and Because it's weird when I win. I usually lose because the type of game that I try to play. Um, but when I win, I usually go back and try to make sure that I did cheat. Because, yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting subject, you know, because some people, they were like, yeah, no, I want to cheat because I want to defeat the game. And if I'm not able, I just want to, if I have to, I will do it to and to defeat the game and change this die or pretend that I roll a six instead of a three or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, I, I couldn't do it because, once again, I'm a weird person, a weird gamer that... Even if I lose, I'm like, yeah, I like to die because that was the theme of the game and the adventure. And you know, you know how how I try to be very immersive with the game. But anyway, we will talk about that in a, in a future episode. Just really quick about your number two, Caleb Aftermath, uh, rank overall 2004. Uh, the re-implementation for this was Commonauts. Uh, they both are designed by Jerry Hawthorne. Uh, and published by Plate Hat Games. Plate Hat Games had fantastic games. Uh, 8.0 is the ranking, and uh, and he has a complexity of 2.77 out of 5, and he plays 60 to 120 minutes. I played this game as well with my wife. We actually played like uh, four times this year. We didn't keep going, but we actually enjoyed it. There were some rules that we were still like looking through, And at least in my perspective, I believe that the complexity is fine, 2.7, because it's, I don't think it's an easy game. It's not a super hard game, but it's not an easy game either, uh, at least in my perspective. Uh, but we have fun, and I had to agree, like, the components were great. I remember the miniatures, they came already pre-washed um, on that game. So that was a big, big plus, because it's like, when you see the miniatures like that, you actually can leave them like that and no paint them, because they look good on the table. And there was a miniature of a cat that he was like very badass, and and the cards that you do your actions with that they look like you know poker cards as well. I think I think the 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 components they were great, and the kind of the legacy ish aspect of the game was also uh, was also great. So I really had a good experience as well with aftermath. Jonathan, number two. 
Well, I think Caleb was trying to set me up for my number two with some of the things he said, like, um, you mm-hmm. know, having a uh, storybook that you can flip to help set up the game. Oh, I, I know I, where you're going. And so so here, I, here's the thing. Before you start, I know which game oh, you're going to say. I think I okay. know. Um, once you said it, I might compliment him because we're actually probably going to be on the same page on this one. Go for it. Okay. Um, probably. Um, he, he mentioned this game and the numerous scenarios that are available. I'm not talking <laughs> about that specific version. Um, but this is a game I got mostly because it was during our um, lockdown phase, and I was kind of in the same uh, boat as you guys trying to find stuff to play. And I had some FOMO of missing out on <laughs> Gloomhaven, Jaws of oh, the Lion. Oh, man. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, um, we matched there second. second place. Yeah, so um, I had to go get it. Um, I really enjoyed when Caleb got Gloomhaven, the original, and we st- played some of that. And I'm like, I like the puzzle of figuring out your character and how to make it work to complete all yeah. the objectives of the scenario without running out of cards or dying. Um, but, you know, as everyone knows, there is a ton of stuff there. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, well, I think I would like the streamlined version a lot better. You have the book, so the setup's um, a lot easier. Um, it makes it more manageable for people like me where I don't want to spend as much time playing um, solo games by myself. Um, I think it was really helpful. Um, I was mm-hmm. familiar with the original game, but having those first five scenarios as a tutorial, as you slowly um, you know, kind of build up your characters to the harder scenarios, I think... Having that in this game, really any of those kind of dungeon crawly games is a great idea to kind of get you started. Um, and I think just having a shorter game, I think the whole thing is like up to 25 scenarios um, so far. Um, and it was probably in a period of a month, I played through like seven or eight. I think I probably, um, when we had talked, I think I played more of this over that time than, than both of you guys. So so somehow I got more sucked into this game and played it a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Um and some of the things that uh, Caleb actually turned me on to, there's um, a helper app with it, and that was great. So you didn't have to do as much of the setup with the monsters that you fight, attract um, damage, some of the the buffs that you get um, each round, um, attracts the initiative, which was really cool. So um, one of my, um, I guess, complaints about the game, kind of like Gloomhaven to a smaller extent, but um, there's just still so much stuff in there. Um, you know, not, not having to get out all the monster tokens and cards and everything and having that just in the app. So you really just have to get out the, um, you know, the monsters themselves and get them set up. It was a lot more streamlined and it allowed me to play more. Um, and then I also started using the Foreteller app um, where um, they actually have voice actors that read like all the basically all the text in the book. So it may be only a minute or two of, of reading, but it added more of that uh, theme to it. And they did a really good job of you know, adding the theme from each of the scenarios in there. Um, so I definitely think it's worth it. Like if you really get into the game, having those extra um, digital helpers on there to kind of amplify the experience. That's right. And now I'm going to hear bond with you, Jonathan, and stay on the same basically conversation in place. Because my number two is also Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. I'm going to give you the BG, BGG perspective. It has an 8.9 of rating. Rank overall, it's number 15. Spirit Island was what? Number 13, we said, I think. Let me go back here really quick just to make sure. Um, I don't remember. I think I lose it here. But it was, I think, around those numbers, number 13 or something. So they're very close to each other. Um, so we have Gloomhaven, Justice Lion, one to four players, which honestly, I will throw it out there. Play it solo. I think this is a great solo game. Um, and it has 25 scenarios. 
and is designed by Isaac. I hope I pronounced it correctly, and if not, you guys can help me here. Isaac Ch Ch Childress or Childress or how do you say it? Childress. 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 Yeah. And the artist, because the art is beautiful, I had to mention it. It's uh, Francesca Berold, Kat Buck, David Buck, and David Demered. Those are the designers. The weight complexity of the game is 3.5 out of 5, which there, I don't know. I feel like probably a 3 should be okay. Um, I don't feel like it's that, that complex, especially this version of Gloomhaven. And it has a very particular positive thing that, Jonathan, you were mentioning, um, that... Literally, you op you open the box and you start to sort of and organize your tokens and stuff and organize the trays, and as you open the rule book, you can start to play. Like you can just boop, boop, open the adventure book. You have already don't have to look for tiles, nothing. It's just way simple, way faster to get to the fun. And as you're playing each scenario of the five, um, you know the first five tutorial ones, you're learning how to play. They start to implementing. New abilities, new mechanisms, new cards. You open these, you take this card from this package and this and that. And you by game five, you know how to play Gloomhaven fully for the Jaws of the Lion. Another cool thing that it has is that you can use the same characters if you own the main Gloomhaven uh, game, which I know Caleb does. I know Caleb has a broken token, every single thing for the Gloomhaven, which is a monster to bring to the table. Uh, in this one, they actually streamline it like way way easier um me personally and we will talk about a little bit about this in a little bit um i'm i'm a backer of frosthaven so now i am like yes i do want to play frosthaven but at the same time would it be probably better if they would include me an adventure book for that as well and you know in that way i don't have to deal with tiles which is usually a a, a headache on the setup aspect not that i dislike them i actually like tiles better it's just the the part where i had to you know build them um so there is, there is Gloomhaven. That's uh, my number two. The other, the other thing that I had to add in case you uh, live on Mars or on Moon and you don't know anything about Gloomhaven, it's a dungeon crawler. You're tr playing through a campaign, 25 scenarios in this one, versus the million ones on the box, on the main Gloomhaven box. And you, this one you can actually finish. You have a cool map over there where you're going to be placing stickers, sort of a campaign, uh, where it's going to take you to different locations. You're going to follow the story. I haven't played with the Foreteller uh, app, or neither the other app. I have played only the way that it was meant to be, just uh, you know, <laughs> the game that you acquired from the store. But, um, you know, I, I, I can wait to try those, also those implementations, like Foreteller especially, uh, because I've been enjoying the game a lot, as you know. I play soundtracks on the background, and I usually play um, either uh, medieval fantasy or Lord of the Rings soundtracks on the on the background, and I can play these games and have an adventure. Before we jump into our number ones, that I have a feeling of which one is your number one, Caleb, and I'm pretty sure we will talk about more. Before we jump into our number ones, I would like to make a round around the table with you, my friends, and talk if you have. At one or two biggest deception of the year, because we're we're just talking right now positive thing about games, you know our top fives and our the best games that we have more joy out of it. But I want to talk about our deceptions of the year, those games that you were expecting to play, you were expecting some fun from it, but at the end of the day, it wasn't that much, or even worse, you didn't like it at all, and you don't even want to waste energy on burning it. So. Caleb, do you have any 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 deception of uh, 2020? 
So this <laughs> this may tie into what I anticipate is going to happen uh, here okay. in a few minutes. But the one I didn't hate 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 the game, but definitely my worst game experience uh, mm-hmm. was the Ninja Turtle game that we played. Okay. Uh, some of that was our own fault because we decided to sit down and open up a brand new game from mm-hmm. the shrink wrap and try to learn it without any of us knowing anything about the game sure. uh, or any background with the rules. Um, and then it's one of those games where that just happens to be a really bad game to do that with because you know the rules aren't necessarily 100% complete. There mm-hmm. were lots of uh, you know things we had to look up on BGG. Uh, and the game actually broke for us in like literally the first <laughs> the first yeah. turn the game came to a screeching halt. So I was actually really excited to play that game. I had considered purchasing it myself uh, when it was the earlier version of the game. Uh, so I you know just went in with a really positive attitude and came out so negative. Uh, and then we played it again later after you had sort of like uh, mm-hmm. went online and did some research and sort of figured out how to smooth out some of the uh, the wrinkles we had found. Uh, and even then, I still just found it very fiddly, and I liked it okay. I, I would probably still put it at a game I don't actually enjoy. I would never choose to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, yeah, I guess that's my biggest one. Um, disappointment of the year. That's interesting, because we're going to have a discussion a little bit. Jonathan, go for it. Well, I didn't want to talk about that one, because it wasn't a game that I I looked into and was looking forward to. So I can't mm-hmm. say it was my biggest disappointment, but... Um, it was probably the only time that you guys have ever seen me get like visibly angry or frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> <I haven't. laughs> so, and you remind yeah. me of that. So, um, but I would say um, probably my biggest one, I think I played it early in the year pre COVID, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, but it was one I got at Gen Con last year that I just never got to the table just because we got a ton of stuff at Gen Con, um, you know, and we can still do that. And um, it was a game called Fuji. Um, I believe it was by uh, Wolfgang Warsh. And it is a cooperative game, and the whole premise is you're trying to, um, as a group, escape from um, the volcano eruption and move on these tiles. And everybody's kind of got their own abilities and stuff, but you roll dice, and you compare um, what you rolled with the person to your left and right. Yeah. And it was just very, like, for what you're trying to do, I think it was just very um, overly complicated. And um, it kind of took you out of the game, like, um, what do I have enough to compare it with, you know, left the person on your left and your right to figure out, you know, who's best for this. And it was just a lot of like mathy type stuff and um, but not in a good way. It wasn't like a, a fun puzzle like some of these other games like we like to, to try to figure out. It was just kind of annoying. And like this trying to do this game, it took about two hours and it's not supposed to be that long of a game or that and it's not that complex, complex of a game. Yeah. Um, and it was just one that I, I got at Gen Con and it looked very nice and I was just, you know, super excited about it. And it just kind of ended up being a game where I played it that one time and I was just like, yeah, that's enough for me. Well, there you go. We all have deceptions then. This year, I actually have two biggest deceptions. One, we're going to start with the first one. Um, as you know, I'm very driven. As you can tell by my list, I'm very driven by theme and I'm very driven by um, the immersion that a game can offer. And the OP, which actually, I'm sorry, it wasn't the OP, is the, the group, the Prospero Hall group, this group of designers, I usually enjoy their games. Actually, for example, Back to the Future game that we that we played not long ago. I, I enjoy that game, even if we were playing it wrong at the beginning uh, and we were making the things like way hotter. Um, you know, I, I enjoy that game and I think the mechanics were cool, you know, smooth. Um, and then I play, I believe they're also the same designers of Panem. I just played Panem not too long ago and Panem, it's a big, big surprise for me. 
It's a fantastic game, probably from all the target, you know, the main franchise in U.S., from all the target audience that they have games out there um, on that category of pseudo-euro games, I guess if you want to call it. Panem is probably my favorite ever from that target audience. It's such a fantastic game. But um, I also ended up buying another game early in this year that I tried to learn it solo and then to bring it to a table with friends. And I'm talking about The Shining which is one of my favorite movies. I love every single movie from Stanley Kubrick. My favorite at 2001 Space Odyssey. But The Shining is probably my second favorite one. And I bought the game so excited about going to this, uh, you know, haunted hotel, you know, in the middle of the in the middle of nowhere, full of snow, and you know, revive those moments from the movie. I played solo. I learned it. I thought it was okay. Then I brought it to the table with some friends uh, close to Halloween times. Oh my God, it was one of the worst experience for everybody ever. The mechanics doesn't work. You are doing nothing. I can't even I can't even not explain to you what are you trying to do. You're trying to survive to different seasons of the hotel to different rounds, five rounds, and that's it. The only the most thematic thing that the shining has is the board and the and the art on the cards and that's it other than that it doesn't have any theme it doesn't have jack torrance there it doesn't have uh, you know the, the the little kid and the guy the black guy from the kitchen that he was able to communicate with the kid nothing like that nothing 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 at all it's one of the worst games that i have played probably ever and i'm not talking about monopoly and all the stuff i mean this is this is nothing i mean i don't even know how they came with this game and Honestly, I just keep it for a collection part because it says the shining the box and the box is cool. But I mean, honestly, like I don't if somebody comes and steals my house and they take that game, I don't care. I mean, it, it, I don't lose anything, you know. And and uh, there's another game actually by the called The Shining. It's a chronicle uh, type game, sort of like escape room type. And that one is published by the OP, and they are gonna send us a copy to review. I hope that that's different. It's gonna have a different way of play, a different mechanism. And I hope in that one I get to experience what I'm trying to accomplish, you know, with the movie. But this is one of my biggest deceptions of this year. Another year. I don't think you guys played that one, right? I don't think I showed it to you. The Shining. No. No, okay, that's fine. You don't you don't no. miss anything. Um, the Edge of Darkness, that's another one. It was a big deception for me, and that's weird because the both times that we played it at Caleb's house, I ended up winning both times. So I should be like, oh, I like this game. But actually, that's a game that I remember, Caleb, you told me about, you know, I get this game and it's hard to find, and you got this big, big, big box with a lot of content, and, you know, uh, it has a very cool tower that you throw some cubes and they fall in different sections, which is probably my favorite part of the game. Um, and I think we agree with that, Kelly, when we were talking at your house. But I was, it, it, you know, here's the thing, and I'm going to go inside our gaming group. Um, when I see, for example, that, you know, Caleb is excited about the game or Jonathan is excited about the game and they get this big box game, if I know I can play it solo, or even it's just the, the fact that it's an immersive game, I always get excited and trying to, I mean, of course, play with them. But if I liked it, even if one of us have it, I go ahead and buy it and just get it for myself um, just to add it to my gaming library collection. It's, it's just me. I mean, if I love the game, I want to have it in my gaming library. It doesn't matter that everybody in my game group owns it. But with this game, I was very excited. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it. and I'm going to go to eBay or wherever and try to get it and, you know, get upgrades and stuff because Caleb told me about upgrades, upgrade tokens and, and all the kind of things that I like. 
and then I played the game and it just wasn't for me. And there's some other games from this same category, which the designer is John uh, declared. There's Mystic Veil over there, which at the same time, I don't think it's a great game either. It's I'm, I have decent memories of having playing with uh, Mystic Veil. I'm not craving to play Mystic Veil. But there's another one called Custom Heroes, I believe. And that one, I have great memories of playing that game, you know, competitive way and very fast, very smooth. And you're upgrading your cards and putting more, I, guess, I remember if it was like robots or samurai robots or something like that, uh, putting on your sleeves and then you get more powerful calls and get more tokens. And at the end of the day, it's going to be one winner. This one, I didn't feel the same. I think it was too much. I think, um, um, you know, I just felt, I got the sensation of dragging during the whole game. And it's weird because once again, I ended up winning. But I was expecting way, I was expecting something completely different from this uh, gaming adventure experience, I guess. So that was another big deception because, like I mentioned, since Caleb started to talk to about us, about the game, I was already in the back of my mind, like, oh, I'm going to get that game. I'm going to play it. I'm going to have a blast and I'm going to get a copy. And it went completely the, <laughs> the opposite. Caleb thoughts on edge of darkness since you own it and you probably have played it more times than me before we jump in it has a 7.6 on bgg one to four players 120 minutes complexity of 3.4 uh once again designed by john declare published by aeg or the alaric entertainment group and their rank overall it's 1196 yeah this is an interesting one i w i played this at gen con and just played like you know maybe a round or two and at the time, I was just blown away by, like, the table presence, and this thing takes up... I, this definitely takes up more table space than any other game I have, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that perspective, it's very impressive. And the mechanics of it are interesting. And, you know, the, the demo at Gen Con just sort of got, you know, whet my appetite for it. But the game was sort of expensive, and I, you know, passed on it at the time. It was on Kickstarter. Uh, so then I searched, uh, I saw a couple of videos online, reminded me of the game, and, you know, searched for it on the secondhand market. And I would say I like the game, but I agree. I think in every aspect, it just asks too much from the player. So while you're playing the game, you know, it's the kind of game where there's so much on the table, you can't see everything. So you have to, like, get up, walk around the table, or, like, yeah. take a picture on the other side of the table. What does that say? What does this do? So it asks too much from that perspective. Uh, it also asks too much... Rules-wise, not that the rules are complicated, but once you understand the rules, it still takes a little bit. Unlike, unlike most games where you understand the rules and then you can, you know, understand the strategy. In this game, you have to play a few rounds before you even understand, like, why you would do the thing that the rule allows you to do. Yeah. Uh, so it asks ask a lot from you there. Uh, and then the mm -hmm. biggest thing is it's a, it's a huge box with tons and tons and tons of content, but the game is so overly long for what it is uh and the setup is extremely long for what it is and the teardown which normally teardown is not that big of an issue is extremely long for what it is so while the actual game i think i would probably rank it as a three out of five uh because of all the extraness things around it i think it's probably going to leave my collection um, the biggest thing is just figuring out how I'm going to ship this thing uh, <laughs> to, to whoever I ship it to. It's, yeah. it's super heavy. So, yeah, it's one of those games It's like worth trying, but I think John's other designs are more elegant, especially uh, Mystic Veil. I, I actually like that game. So, uh, yeah, I think this one probably actually you can add it to my uh, deception list as well, something I okay. thought I would enjoy much more. Well, so here's the thing. I will give you an, a free ad, Mr. Wells. So yes. if, if, any, if anybody on the Midwest close to Indianapolis, Indiana, even if 
there was this was our deception of the year. But still, you are interested in Edge of Darkness because you know at the end of the day, I always say that reviewers it doesn't matter if it's the biggest reviewer ever, like he plays every second of the day, or if it's somebody that's just getting in the hobby. The reviews are very subjective at the end of, at the end of the day. Of course, there are games that they have been proved because uh, statistics that they're way better than in mechanics are they're way better than other ones. But at the end of the day, it's a very subjective thing. So if you're interested in this game, please feel free to contact Solo BG Podcast and I will hook you up with Caleb and that way you can meet him and he can do a magic trick for you or something and give you the <laughs> big, the big, big box. Uh, Jonathan, are you interested in buying the Edge of Darkness? No, I, I know how Caleb does his magic <laughs> trick, and that game's going to appear on my table, and I'm going to be at like 150 bucks. So, yeah. no thanks. <laughs> okay, we will pass on that. Before we jump into our number one, do you guys do you guys have any honorable mentions that you want to bring in? I definitely do. I struggled uh, because some of my favorite games this year are like games I look forward to. We got to play them like basically one time or maybe yeah. two times because we didn't get together that much. Uh, and they're also competitive games. So they didn't really make this list just because of the criteria that we set looking yeah. for cooperative or solo games. Yeah. But it, I can't talk about 2020 without mentioning these particular games. So one is uh, Glenmore 2 Chronicles. Oh, I and love it. I love it. That game is so good. I mean, that's one of my favorite games in my whole collection. Uh, the theme is nothing interesting at all. <laughs> but the mechanics are very simple yeah. uh, to learn. But there's mm -hmm. so much decision space. Uh, so that's... Really, an excellent game. I love uh, it. That, I need to get that game on my collection as well. And I told you this before. That's a Glenmore too, my friends. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite Euro games out there. It has so. I mean, you will have a ton of replay of it from one box. Caleb is wild. Is right. I'm sorry. I think what hurts the game is the theme, but. Um, uh, at the same time, I don't see which other team you can put there. I guess that's a th the theme goes fine with the game. So definitely check it out, Glenmore 2. Keep going, Caleb. I love that game. I had to say it because I really love that game. Yeah, so great. Uh, another one is Orleans, which I have actually played the solo version of. I haven't played it cooperatively yet, yeah. uh, but I like it competitively. I think that's probably going to be my favorite way to play. Uh, it's a bag builder, and uh, it's a little bit to set up. That's, I guess, the biggest negative. Uh, but once it's on the table, it's a nice 90-minute to, to two-hour game yeah. uh, that uh, is really, really fun. Uh, my great wife and I played too. that a number of times. Yeah, great it's really great. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the other two, I'll just give a quick shout out to Black Angel, which you showed me. Oh, uh, the, the solo mode I like, although I like, you, again, the competitive uh, oh, far more. But you, you're touching really uh, sensitive, um, sensitive, you know, things right now. With like, I mean, yeah. uh, Black Angel, it's, oh man, <laughs> it's, it's, for me, it's like I'm playing. Uh, either Interstellar, the movie, which I love it, or 2001 Space Odyssey, because actually the AI for the solo game is named Hall, like the computer of 2001 Space Odyssey, which I know it's a movie that actually Jonathan loves as well. Um, but, you know, um, it's just Black Angel, Caleb. I mean, I, I, I honestly, you give excellent, honorable uh, mention games. My only critique to Orleans, which, once again, the Euros... They're just like that. The art, man. We talk about this many, many times. I wish the Euros could be more modernized art-wise. But it is what it is. I guess it's just the style. And in and, and Orleans, I really remember having also a very nice experience. I want to play it again because I think it's a game that, that it should stay in, in everybody's gaming library, probably. you know, I should get a copy for myself as well. Um, Jonathan, talking about 2001 Space Odyssey, you also play Black Angel, I remember. 
mm-hmm. uh, and I think you got a positive feedback as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I won. So, um, <laughs> but no, I really liked it. I mean, at first you kind of see this game and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, but but I think like once you once you figure it out, um, it definitely was a very fun game. It was probably one of the best games that we played that weekend when we played. I don't know, yeah, a, t- a ton of games. Um, like, you know, again, I can't speak to the solo version, but um, but you know, I really enjoyed that game. And it's it's one of those games where you don't have a super high score. So I mean, the whole thing is very close. Um, yeah. And like every action is so important because you, you know, one victory point is so valuable in that kind of game. So, um, so I really enjoyed it, and I think the theme was really cool in that game as well. And also, what is very cool, I guess you will agree with me, Caleb, is how you are advancing the ship. How the, it it gives you that optic illusion that the ship is getting closer and closer and closer, which is Black Angel, towards the planet that we are trying to get, and that's we're gonna name our new home, right? So the optical illusion with the tiles that you are advancing. It's so great. I mean, it, it helps the game to get to be more immersive, I guess, right? Yeah, I think it's a. I think the thing I like about it is it's a Euro game, but it has a nice, solid theme to it. Uh, and then my final one is to me like the ultimate version of that, and that's Anachrony, which we only get to play once. Yeah, uh, that's and true. man, it's another Euro, but it has time <laughs> travel, and it's the yeah. first game I played that has time travel that really makes sense. So the, mm-hmm. the main mechanic that's cool about it is. If you need, uh, you know, I forget what the currency is in the game, but let's say you need, uh, you know, an energy uh, to make something up, you can just have the energy right now and uh, you can use it like, you know, free resource. But later in the game, you must travel back in time to give yourself that energy that you used earlier in the game. Uh, Otherwise, there's a penalty and you can create, you know, problems in the uh, wormholes in the Time, space-time continuum. So uh, yeah. there's a lot going on, but it's such a great game. I'm actually really looking forward to trying the solo mode out, out on this one. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's in the honorable mentions because I haven't really got it to the table except for that one time. But uh, really an excellent. That's experience. another game that I want to play again because I don't remember anything. I remember it was very complex. I remember I sort of like understand it toward the end. So I I feel like if I play it again and again, if you teach it. I will be able to, you know, understand a little better. And who knows, probably I will be ended up getting a copy for myself and play it solo because that's another game from David Tersey that everybody talks wonderful about it. I think it's probably David Tersey holy grail because everybody's always looking for a copy of Anachrony. Um, Jonathan, you also play, we actually played at your house and with in that uh, self uh, Gen Con that we did because just a little bit of background since we didn't have any Gen Con that this year, we got together those four days in different houses to to play games all day and when we were talking about the weekend on the on the with the black angel we're getting this tradition which i would recommend it for you to do it if you have close friends that you play with you just go to a cabin for a weekend in this case we go to st louis missouri because they have miniature markets so sorry for the advertising um and we just go there get games and play so i wanted to throw a little bit of background there uh of our gaming group but uh, Jonathan, you also play an acronym, man. Remember, I was I probably you, you're very good at these games, Jonathan. You're very good at, at thinking and planning strategies. I'm more like, oh, I'm just gonna throw myself to the to to the pool, you know, and see what happens. And you are more like, okay, before I jump into the pool, do I'm if I'm wearing the right uh, swimsuit, if there's sharks on the pool by any chance, if I'm gonna get some sort of infection or whatever. And you know, you're that kind of a player that you like to think before you jump, which is a good thing. What do you think about an acronym? Yeah, I remember really liking it, um, and I think that's another game where it offers a lot of decisions on where you place your workers, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of 
I think, again, just kind of like a lot of these kinds of games, like initially it's you know a little overwhelming, like seeing all the choices mm-hmm. you have um, and how they affect you down the line. Um, you know, because like Caleb says, like some of those decisions come back to get you later if you can't, um, you know, account for them at that time. Um, but I think it was really cool with the mechanisms there. And, um, you know, I think there was a lot that you could do and a lot of ways to do them. So it wasn't just like figuring out one specific puzzle and how to best do that. I think, you know, we all kind of had our own little strategy there and, um, you know, we kind of did our own thing. Um, and it worked out really well. So I would definitely want to play that again, too, just because, I mean, at that, this point, it feels like that was so long ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're definitely due for another round of anachronists. Yeah. What about your honorable mentions, Jonathan? What do you have there for us? Um, I don't have anything quite as um, big or exciting as Caleb, but uh, for me this year, probably my most played game was um, Point Salad. So a competitive, a light competitive mm-hmm. game um, by AEG. And that was one that got a lot of buzz at Gen Con last year. Um, and there was actually one, I think I picked it up when I we went to St. Louis um, because it was one um, my wife was really interested in getting at Gen Con and they were sold out. Um, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, but basically, um, you know, you're just kind of, um, you know, either drawing cards, um, and it's just like set collection or, you know, getting the different vegetables and things that go in salad or you're getting um, a point card and then trying to, you know, best score that card as many times as you can um it's pretty easy to teach uh, we played that with our parents who don't play any games um we've played it with you know very different groups of people um and kind of like some of the other games that we've talked about um it's very quick you can play with in probably 30 minutes or less um and usually you'll want to play again because you know that first game you kind of learn it then you want to do it again but every game is different because either you'll take um different point cards or Um, you kind of have a little different strategy there, but I think it's a good, um, another good small box uh, card game um, that really anybody could play. So we, we definitely got our uh, money's worth out of that. Um, from the, I guess, solo slash cooperative side, um, this was actually a game that I think Caleb gave, gave me for my birthday. So it was kind of pre-March COVID um, craziness. Um, but funny enough, it's a game called After the Virus. Um, and I oh, think yeah. we all have it or we, we've all played it. Um, yeah. But at that time, that was probably my most played solo game. Um, it got pretty tough. Like, I, th- I think I got through the first, you know, level of scenarios. And then as it got harder, I just couldn't win. But it was a game where I'm like, I just want to keep trying this over and over again and try to find the best way to do it. Um, but mm-hmm. what this game is, is you kind of pick a character. They have their own special... Um, starting cards in their deck and um, you kind of go through whatever the scenario is and try to meet their requirements you're slowly um, acquiring cards to build your deck but you're also acquiring zombie cards that also go into your deck and when they come up you have to fight them or they do damage to you and you can only take three damage or you lose Um, it was very tricky Um, again it's kind of puzzly to figure out the combinations of the different cards but um, that's something i really like to do Um, so I would just sit and watch TV and play this game for probably two hours until I hopefully would beat a scenario. Um, yeah. And I played that probably for most of March. Um, so that was definitely um, probably still could be my most played solo game before I got Gloomhaven. Yeah. And actually, after the virus is from the same designer as uh, Terraforming Mars, actually. And, um, you know, great game. I also I think the three of all, like you mentioned, the three of all, we own the game and um, there's no sense to. Uh, honestly, this is the kind of game that you can buy a copy and just give a deck to each other because 
That's it. You, it. The only you won't have any interaction other than I can kill your zombie, you can kill my zombie if we play multiplayer. Other than that, it's a completely solo-based game where you were going trying to kill zombies that they will be coming from your deck and trying to to kill you. Uh, fun game though. It's a very small box. Fun game. The art doesn't help the game. The the art is horrible. You can find this game on Amazon or online for I don't know 12, 13 American dollars. The art is awful. It's made by um, the designer brother. Actually, he he did the art. I guess you know he he was trying to give him some something to to help with uh, with the board game, but it's just awful. I I can definitely see in the future um, this company making a you know a retheme of the game, probably with more modern art, and it will sell probably even better than what it is right now. But anyway, that's after the virus. Now I'm gonna keep it quick. I have two honorable mentions. One is Paladins of the West Kingdom. Um, I'm pretty sure we all are familiar with the game. Uh, I would say a heavy Euro that has a fantastic solo mode, worker placement. I won't talk anymore about the game because I'm looking forward to do an episode about it. But it's a game that you should definitely check it out. Paladins of the West Kingdom. It's from the same. I don't have it on right now. The publishers of the Raiders of the North Sea. And then you have Architects of the West Kingdom. Um, you have Viscons of the West Kingdom. And, and you have all these worker placement games. Here's a worker placement game, which once again, I'm looking forward to doing an episode of Paladins. That's why I don't want to spoil it too much. And the other honorable mention as well, it's another future episode that I will have probably in the next month, which is Power Rangers from Renegade Game Studios. Power Rangers is basically a tower defense mechanism game, uh, which we you are playing with the heroes in the main game. You, in the main um, game, you have the... The Blue Ranger, the Black Ranger, the Yellow Ranger, the Pink Ranger, and the, and the, and Jason, of course, the Red Ranger. You don't get Tommy, though. You have astronaut expansion. But you're basically trying to fight, uh, you know, trying to protect uh, Angel Grove, um, the different locations in the city, uh, from the party patrols and Rita Repulsa or any of the other enemies. I don't want to give you more details as well because I'm planning to do an episode about it very soon. But it's another game that it hit my table multiple times that right now I'm actually uh, paying somebody some commission to paint all the minis from the game. Uh, because I really like the game. I'm looking forward to get all the expansions and play more. And actually, if you own the game or if you're thinking about owning the game to play it solo, you can certainly do that. And you're going to get more replayability because if you go to Renegade, uh, uh, Renegade Game Studios' website, you will be able to find more scenarios for that game. That the designer, um, I think his last name is Ying. Let me see really quick the, the name. The designer is um, Jonathan Jing. Uh, he uh, he's constantly posting a more scenarios for you to play. He has an 8.1 on BGG and a complexity of 2.8 out of 5. So that's Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid from um, uh, Renegade Game Studios. And I think you, well, you guys played it with me. I don't know if you want to share any quick thought just without spoiling too much in the way we save it for the episode of Power Rangers. Yeah, this was a game I was also interested in. So I was glad to see that you uh, shut off the bucks to bring it to the table, and I had a lot mm -hmm. of fun. Yeah. Jonathan, you had good memories from Power Rangers. I remember you were playing with the Blue Ranger and you were doing a bunch of stuff over there. Yeah, um, again, it's just you know another one of those games where everybody has their own specific deck. Um, I think both times I played was with the Blue Ranger. Um, but I always like those kind of games where you kind of figure out your character-specific strategy and how to optimize you know that pre-generated deck that you have. Um, and I enjoyed yeah. it, and it was very thematic. So it was a fun experience. There you go. So now it's time to jump Mr. Wiles, to jump Caleb to the to the special moment of the night, of the evening of the day. The special moment that we were all waiting. Our top ones. That game that made it all the way to the top. 
that you will be surprised with me, but uh, that game that made it there, the holy grail of the year, that game that, you know, every time that you walk by your gaming library and you saw the box, you were kind of like winking at that game, like if it was your first date with your with your first girlfriend and, you know, and you just want to take it out to dinner, that game, and have a date with that game and just have a romantic night with that game and the aspect of having a blast on the table. So... I want to hear all about it, Caleb. I want all the gossip of your date with this mythic game, the number one of 2020. All right. Well, you are building it up. Uh, <laughs> so my game, yeah, I felt a little bit weird because I'm normally not uh, a cult of the new kind of uh, person. So normally I'm like, w let things wait a little bit, let them simmer, see if I you know, still feel the same about it. And this game is certainly a cult of the new. I got it within the last month. But... I don't think I've gotten a game uh, that I fell in love with this instantly and this much, uh, really, in a, you know, in a couple of years now, uh, and that's Dwellings of Eldervale. Oh. Uh, I was super excited about this game, uh, sort of been waiting on it month by month on the Kickstarter, not knowing when it's going to arrive. Uh, when it finally arrived, it was almost like a surprise uh, as well, because I had sort of like been looking at every the calendar, and then COVID kind of mess with things so i kind of lost track so then when it showed up it was like super awesome uh it has i think the best uh component organization system that i've ever seen in any game like bar none because uh there are these player boards that are game trays and they have lids on them so uh there's i think eight or ten of these game trays and you take them out and everybody chooses one and when they open up the lid they're set up that's it <laughs> all your uh workers are there your resources are there uh, your houses are there. It's all set up for you. Um, mm -hmm. There's also card trays. So there's eight decks of cards. You might say, okay, well, in this game, we're going to play with these four. You pull out the card trays, and all the cards are set up. They're shuffled from the last game. All the tiles are there. Um, and even the component trays themselves, there's two of them. So uh, as you know, if you play with a big group, a lot of times you'll sort of split components across the table, and this is already set up for you like that. So it's got a lot of pieces, but the setup time is uh, really minimized. And the gameplay is excellent. It's a worker placement game uh, on a hexagonal sort of dudes on a map style uh, tiles. And there's monsters <laughs> that come out. So it's like mixing worker placement with blood rage, I guess would be a good way, because uh, the monsters attack all players, but you can also dominate a monster and sort of recruit him as one of your units. Uh, the variability every game is so super high because uh, unlike other worker placement games where one spot might give you a wood, uh, in this game, all of those resources are sort of juggled around. So every time it's going to come out in a different order, the tiles are going to come out in a different order. Um, and then you have special abilities, so it's sort of uh, asymmetric across different factions that way. You have different types of workers, which can each, each be placed in different ways. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a lot to the game, but that being said, the complexity is not that high from a rules learning perspective because each of the mechanisms are very simple. Now, combining them into a winning strategy uh, probably isn't going to be so simple, especially in your first game. Uh, but one of the cool things about it is there's no round structure. So you just take your turn by placing a worker like normal. You get the resources that you uh, place it on or you do the action uh, that you place it on, but you're not blocking that from anyone else. If they want to do that action, they can come to that same tile 
and do that same action, but it will instigate a fight. And what's cool about it as well is instead of placing a worker, you can pick up all your workers. And throughout the game, you're sort of building a tableau of cards that you've purchased uh, that sit off to the side of your player area. And those have special abilities. So when even on turns where all you're doing is pulling back your workers, you pull them from the board onto one of the cards uh, that you've got in front of you. So it's sort of like second layer uh, inception style worker placement. So it's like worker placement on top of worker placement. And we all might have different numbers of workers. So you might be placing out six workers where I might be down to two. Just everything about this game is just super high quality, super top notch. Uh, the rule book is very straightforward. And this is one of those games, Derek, I, I would bet money that you'll buy, uh, play this game and buy this game and be looking for it immediately. I think this is really top of the line, uh, almost a perfect game for me. Well, let me give you the, the BGG perspective right now. It's uh, rank overall, and it's just it, this is a fresh game that just came to backers. And I'm wondering if it's going to hit retail. Do you know if it's going to hit retail this game, or isn't retail? Or... Uh, so it will hit retail. Uh, the deluxe version on Kickstarter comes with some you know, different components, like wooden uh, chits and things like that. Mm -hmm. And you could even, I did not opt for this, uh, but they even, this is the first game that has sound bases in the miniatures. So those monsters I was mentioning before, if you lift them up and move them from one tile to another, each one of them makes a different sound. So they sort of growl <laughs> as they go across the table. So it's super deluxified, but even the retail version, I think, is going to be awesome and include those yeah. game trays. Well, might as well start looking secondhand then for those uh, uh, sound miniatures. I never knew about that. Otherwise, I probably <laughs> wouldn't get the... the the Kickstarter, you see, when I look for Kickstarter, I just look at the art pictures, and I, I that, don't do that. That's Derek, and it's wrong. But but you know how I am, that I buy a lot of stuff uh, very blindly. But anyway, the, we're not talking about that. Let's talk about the BGG perspective. Uh, rate over, overall, rank overall is uh, 1,327. 8.6 is the rating. Uh, it was a game that it was released once again in 2020. Battle for Control of a New Fantasy Realm in this worker placement game is designed by Luke Laurie uh, and published by Breaking Games. One to five players, so you can play it solo. Age 14 year old plus, 60 to 150 minutes, and the weight complexity is 3.2 out of 5. So that's the perspective of uh, dweller, Dwellings of Elderville. Like you mentioned, Caleb, I'm so looking forward to play this game. I hope it's not the same situation as Edge of Darkness, which this hype that you are creating on me right now is what you create with Edge of Darkness. And then it was like, hmm, like, you know, but I really hope that in this one, it will be completely the opposite. And I will be literally playing around and then like, okay, let me go online and get a, <laughs> and get a copy for myself. So, um, so I hope, I really hope it's going to be that, that experience, Caleb. And I think this is a nice uh, number one, you know, I mean, you surprised me. I thought you were going to say... Uh, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, but I guess um, I know you enjoy that game as well. But you really surprised me because now I understand it because I I know you were very hyped about these uh, dwellings of Elderville, and I'm so happy that it made it all the way to the top of your list. So that's fantastic, Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. What about your first date, my friend? What about that game that you've been winking around? What about that game that you were putting some candles on the table? setting up the the game there and getting all like you know well dressed and with your mind all set up for that epic adventure and that you will going to immerse yourself and try to conquer those dungeons or room or spaces because you knew every single thing about this game was almost designed just for you just for your hands just for your eyes just for your 
pleasure and your excitement about the joy of a board game? Which one? Which one is that one? Which is your number one? Well, uh, this was actually not my first date with this one because I had <laughs> gone on a previous date where I watched a couple movies and then okay. I read a couple comic books on the second date. So this was like my third date with this uh, yeah. this thing. Um, and my number one was Hellboy the Board Game from Mantic oh, nice, Games. Oh, nice, nice, um, nice. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of the original two Hellboy movies. Not a huge fan of the new remake movie, but um, I've also read some of the original comic books um so i'm more familiar with that as well and some of the art so this game is a hellboy themed uh dungeon crawler um and all of the art is based on the comic books so you kind of get that style if you're familiar with that um which was nice that it wasn't um you know like art from the movies um but what i really liked about this game um, especially compared to some of the other dungeon crawlers i feel like once you learn the system it's pretty easy um, each character has different abilities, which are pretty straightforward, um, and they're all good at different things, which makes sense if you're familiar with any of the characters. But the way they do that, um, you have um, just a few different sets of dice. So there's yellow, orange, red, and black, and um, each set gets progressively better uh, with the results that you roll on there. Um, but let's say you're using Hellboy. Um, he's going to be the best at one thing, and I think in this game he's the best at melee fighting. So you just pick up the red dice and you roll them and that's what you get. And then if there's any um, things that um, give you any disadvantages, all you do is go take one of the dice, go down to the next um, grade below that. So it gets a little bit weaker and you roll those dice. If you get advantages, you bump yourself up. So in terms of having to calculate things, you really don't have to. All you do is, you know, pick the dice and then adjust as needed. So I thought that system was really cool, and it made it really easy to, you know, kind of get past any of that stuff that you would normally have to um, spend a lot more time with in Dungeon Crawly games. Um, so I really like that. Um, the theme, of course, I liked as well um, with the comic art. Um, I liked um, the minis that it came with. Um, one thing I'm kind of looking um, at is they also came out with upgraded components, and they have um, cooler-looking miniatures. Um, but we even got um, some of the hero clicks for Hellboy, and we use those because they're already pre-painted, and that's been really cool. Um, and one thing I think that we, that we all, like all like is, is uh, one, um, of, one of Derek's criteria is that this game's pretty hard. Um, I mean, we've <laughs> won and we've lost. And again, it's like one of the games um, where, you know, you can do great. Um, part of the Hellboy storyline is investigating these abnormal things, um, investigating the paranormal so you do that. Let's say you get everything right. You still have to fight the final boss. You just know more things, and you might have more advantages, but it's still pretty hard. So it's just one of those things where the better you do, um, you know, it's not as hard to f do the final fight. But even in scenarios where we've, where we've done everything perfectly, it's still been pretty challenging. So um, yeah. it's definitely been good in that regard. Really, the only downside that I have with the base game is that you just get limited um, minions that you fight. So most of all of them, I think, are um, you know mutated frog people, which are a big part of the Hellboy story, but there are definitely some other creatures that you could fight. Um, but all the base scenarios involve them. The boss is different, but you still have all of those. Um, I have gotten some of the expansions now, and they even came out with um, a kit where you can kind of integrate some other uh, creatures like werewolves, um, some other bosses that you can incorporate on the missions, but those are extra things that don't come with the base game. 
and that's really just the biggest um, downside I had was that it's just, um, you know, for as much stuff as you get, it is kind of limited on the variability of um, villains that you fight. So you're almost kind of forced, if you want more variety and want to keep going, to get these extra expansions. And you know what, Jonathan? I have to agree with you because from your gaming library, Hellboy is probably one of the my most favorite games that you that you own. And um, I remember playing it at your house. Uh, did we play, I think, two times, I believe, or one time, and we played like two or three adventures. Um, but it was very fun. And even if I'm, I don't know anything about the theme, it was very fun. To, to uh, a very fun game. It's uh, published by Mantic Games, which usually Mantic Games, they go very under the radar, at least for U.S. Uh, you know, uh, audience, because these uh, it's a, a British uh, publisher. So, but they're the same publishers of The Walking Dead, the miniature games, um, and they have other games over there on the website. I, it doesn't come to my mind right now. But every time that I hear, uh, you know, a feedback from any Mantic game, they're always very good. Like, for example, there's another game from The Walking Dead, Here is Negan, published by, uh, as well by them. And it's just a game that, for some reason, it seems like they flow, uh, they go very under the radar. But Hellboy, actually, it's a very, very fun game. And the rank that it has on Board Game Geek, it's 1146, which is still is very good. Uh, the rating is 8.1. And is one to four players, age 14 year plus, 60 to 90 minutes, weight, uh, complexity, 2.8 out of 5. Designer by, uh, designed is by James M. Hewitt and Sophie Williams. And once again, the publisher is Mantic Games. Um, great game. I honestly, it's a, it's a classic, uh, smooth, uh, I guess with uh, some sort of tension and challenging, challenging dungeon crawler. Uh, I know you have the expansions and I cannot wait to to play it again and i'm happy that that was your number one of the list because i love hellboy and i know caleb as well he actually he actually liked it too and we had a good time right Caleb, when we when we play with jonathan that time yeah as far as dungeon crawlers goes this is one of my favorites it's, it's mm -hmm. another one that has that emergent story where mm -hmm. i can remember what happened in some of our games and yeah you know, that's not something that normally happens with a board game months later where you can recall Oh man, Jotham was here. He was on his last life. I was running in the hallway. Like it's very cool. Yeah, that's right. So here's my questions to both of you. Can you guess my number one? Do you have any idea which one will be my number one? I think Come we on. could we could ask don't, Casey don't Jones. Be, don't be shy. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw a, a April. O'Neill report this on the news last night too, Derek. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Well, you're completely right. I had to come and defend the the deception of both of you <laughs> the year. And my favorite game of this year, the one that made it to the top one, the one that I played, I will say probably the most now, um, and that I paint a bunch of minis, minis that there's a lot of minis because IDW was so kind to send me the whole all-in pledge for for the game which it content has a lot of content a lot of miniatures a lot of expansions and dials and stuff kickstarter exclusives uh it's a teenage mutant ninja turtles the adventure system from idw and the change it's constant it has we're going to start with the bgg it has a rank overall of 4805 8.6 rating one to five players age 14 year plus uh and the complexity of 2.8 out of five i'm going to start telling you in a different way, what I don't like about the game. The rule book. The rule book of the game is just 
very, 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 very bad done, in my opinion. There's a background story of why, but at the same time, when you are a big publisher like IDW, you cannot allow yourself to bring those rule books, especially to the retail versions. Um, so the rule book is the first thing that I don't like. Another thing that I don't like is there's a lot of typos uh, when on the character cards, and I will play. I will explain really quick how it works. And typos on some skill cards. It's probably the game that is, of course, not the most complex game, but it's probably the game that the learning curve for me to play the game. And we talk about this in the on on the on future. I'm sorry, on previous uh, you know minutes that cheating about when you're playing solo it's probably the game that i have spent more time in looking for rules and for clarifications and talking to the designer basically on on, on through messenger talking to him and like hey what if what if this what if that until i figures i figure everything out and then after that i started playing the game again over and over and over and i had a blast i had to say that the theme plays a big big part on this game but at the same time, it has some interesting mechanics that I didn't see before. I haven't seen before in any other games. For example, the dice sharing action. I think that's pretty cool between the turtles, because basically every turtle will have three dice, and those three dice they will determine the actions that you're gonna have on your turn. They're gonna have, you know, the ability of of, of defend, the ability of moving, the ability of attacking. So you're gonna roll your dice, and depending on the results that you get, each each turtle will have different weapons, right? Like all just like in the movies in the show. And you can share those actions with the one on your right and on the one on your left. And also the one on your right and your left, they will share those actions that they place on those sides from their dice with you. So that mechanic, it was at least new for me when I played the game, and I love it. Now the history of this game is that they did a Kickstarter previously that it was called Shadows of the Past. And that one didn't have any cooperative mode. That one, it was fully competitive. Then, they, uh, a fan of the game, actually, which he wasn't a designer, uh, Pete Walsh, he proposed to IDW to make a cooperative version of the game. And they did this new Kickstarter with Pete Walsh uh, based on the Kevin Wilson system. So that's how it came. And I can tell that probably that new designer-ish side of Pete what was the probably tend to push the rulebook to be a little bit or a lot of wrong. Uh, but once again, when you have a publisher like IDW behind, you should you know, put more attention to those details in that way the rulebook can be more straightforward. Now, there's a Kickstarter that will be coming next year that I'm very excited about it, which is the same system, but with the Batman, the animated series theme. And they say the rulebooks you can implement into any game because it's a system, and that in this rulebook now, everything is updated and more straightforward. All my research that I did in order to play this game correctly, which once again, it shouldn't be that way. Anyway, once I learned to play this game, which believe me was a whole adventure, I loved it. It's just now it runs way smoother than when my, I had my experience with Caleb and Jonathan. Um, <clears throat> and you can see the pictures that I share on social media. Um, the adventures goes very smooth and it's very interesting because you walk through a comic campaign where they're telling you the story of the origins of the turtles, at least on this box, changes constant. Now, here's the catch though. Don't expect that you will get the same, uh, you know, feeling or the same adventure, or the same stories as where you were watching the animated series of the Ninja Turtles when we were kids or even the fantastic movies, only the first and the second one, because the third one, it, it's 
awful and if you like it there's something wrong with you but uh these uh this one it's a completely different story it's based on the idw comics from 2013 so since i started to play the game i also started reading the comics and that helped me a lot to get into the story of the game and get more immersed in the game and once again there's the big con is definitely the rule book, and that can lend to a very, very, very bad experience like it happened to us when we started to play the game, trying to learn the game at the same time, and it was just an awful experience, and it broke because we didn't know the rules, and the rules were wrong, probably. They were not very well explained in the rule book. Then we try again. I was, I still didn't know the whole, didn't knew the whole thing, and I didn't knew talk, I didn't talk to the designer that much as, as the time after that, and it still was a little bit like, okay, probably this part is not very clear, but once again, after that big learning curve of me trying to have all the rules as they're supposed to be, then I had a blast with this game. Actually, you can check out everything about this game on my episode number 75, which it was um, a few episodes ago. I did a complete episode for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by IDW Games. And you can get, after you finish with this uh, game, which it has the, the changes constant, which is going to give you a comic adventure game, then... You're going to jump into Cityfall, which is another big box where you're going to have another characters and you're going to get more uh, more games out of it because the, the story keeps going. And then you have more expansions that they add more scenarios. One thing that I also don't like from the game that I have to say is that on the main box, which each box is like between $80 and, and $100 American, um, you also don't get all the characters. So in Changes Constant, which is the one that I recommend to start with, you're going to get the four main turtles and you're going to get some enemies from the comics, not from the movies or the animated series. But once you get the other box, then you get the main enemies. You get Rocksteady and Bebop. You get Shredder. You get also Splinter, April O'Neil. On the main one, once again, you get the four turtles, Casey Jones. Um, so so that's that. The quality of the, of the miniatures is great. The quality of the components is great. It's just the rule book what really dragged this game down. And once again, I've been looking at reviews and just a few reviews of this game and uh, the ones that exist out there and they all talk very positive about the game and that's why i was more pushed to you know um to to try to to see what was going on and then i found out once again talking to a designer that their rule book it was completely that was a big big negative of the game um also actually like kelly was mentioning um, in the past there's a reviewer over there that he mentioned as he think that the shadows of the past one which is the same system of dungeon crawling as one of his favorites as well so i definitely recommend to check it out like i said this was a, a game and it happens to me like we were talking about this i bought the first box of this game when our trip and then i was thinking of selling it just because it was so frustrated when we played at that time then because of the podcast also i try to see what was going on then they sent me the full pledge I start to play, I start to ask more, uh, you know, check all the rules, and then I found it. Once again, it's unacceptable because in a game, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go through all the stress of learning and making sure that you're not doing anything wrong. But believe me when I say, once you learn those things, once again, which I hope they fix it with the Batman one, it's a great game, great mechanism. Um, you know, the AI, it works well. It moves, it, it, it fights you, it gives a challenge. And the scenarios are you follow, if you follow the comics as well, you really, 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 really gonna love it. Now, big part probably could be that. Probably could be that I love the theme, 
that I read the comics, that I enjoy it, and then when I transport all that story that I just read on a comic basically 15 minutes ago and I put it on the table, I'm like, man, this is cool because, yeah, this happened and this and that, and now I need to kill the guy and rescue this guy and this and that. So it's just probably that could be the theme, the, the immersion that it generated on me. So if you're the type of gamer that you like immersion and you like the theme and you like to you know let yourself in it and you don't mind <laughs> putting a lot of time and effort on the rule book then you will like it if you if the rule book will be something that will keep you on the fence then this will probably won't be a game for you but i wanted to share my thoughts with you that this is the game from 2020 that i enjoy the most that i have more fun with it after a frustration part <laughs> and uh, and yeah it, it made all he all the way to the top this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle from the new adventure system. The change is constant. We're talking about this box. Once again, ne next year is coming out the Batman. And then next year, I think it will be Avatar. So the idea for IDW is to have all these all these different franchises that you can integrate on the same system with a nice rule book, I hope, in that way you can have uh, many, many, many adventures you know, in the same um, system by Kevin Wilson. Guys, what do you think about my number one? I know it wasn't your deception, um, you know, list, but um, after hearing all my my speech here, it's <laughs> um, it's it, it's it's tricky, right? Like, why to go through all that um, process of trying to learn a game and and contact designer and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think it's one of those just experiences where you have to work so hard. Even your story, now that you've finally liked it, you yeah. have to work so hard to get to that point. Honestly, I wish, you know, you mentioned a couple other games today, like, for example, Power Rangers. Yeah. I would love for this Power Rangers just to literally make it a Turtles game. That's the same mechanics of the Power Rangers. I think it would be better. Yeah. Um, and the same thing for uh, one of the games you mentioned at the beginning with the uh, Cthulhu Death May Die. Like, to me, Ninja Turtles should be a uh, dumb, fun dice chucker where you're, you know, using some teamwork and cooperation and destroying enemies. And I think that game gives me more a feel of that style of dumb fun. Like I'm looking for with the turtles yeah. game, uh, than the turtles game itself. Like even, even if you do like it, I'm curious, like, does it feel like fun, uh, from like, like, a, like an ease, easy fun. It, it like, even now, like I remember when we played the second time, the game wasn't bad, but like to me, turtles, uh, and this shows my age and bias, but I like the, yeah. you know, Muppet-based turtle. So I like the high-five pizza, you know, sort of family <laughs> style yeah. uh, versus, like, the darker comic books. And I know this one is supposed to be the darker comic books, but, like, That's right. I just wish it had that lightness to it um, that I, I associate with the turtles. Yeah, and, and it could be, right, because uh, once again, and this is me after going into the comics and read it, and the, like you very well mentioned the dark side of the comics of the Turtles, is definitely a game that, you. I mean, there's some characters that they their abilities there tend to be more fun, like you mentioned, like Michelangelo, like you can, you know, like uh, move a, a bunch of spaces and, and, and try throw some kicks and stuff, but definitely the game, it doesn't feel like that... Um, dice is dice chuckling because you're rolling a bunch of dice for everything but at the same time it's more strategy and more tactic and more tension i would i would feel like and you know more a little bit more slower pace uh, than of course uh, cthulhu that is just go 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 rock and roll and then you have the rangers as well that is roll rock and roll rock and roll rock and roll this one is more 
you know, okay, let's think. What do we do? Where do we move? Which card I play? Uh, do I defend? You, do you come with me and you stay up front? Should I hide? Should I go high level? Should I go low level? Do I get line on side? Do I, you know, you, you get more, definitely more things to think about it. And I don't know if that's also what, I don't think it's only you. I think most of the people, when we see when we see Ninja Turtles, we associate it with the fun on the animated series and the fun movies that we have back in the 90s. But this is completely different. Even the story of the origins of the Turtles is different. The enemies that you're facing is different. It's more definitely more dark. And I don't know if that's also, like you said, I think they reduce the niche of, of audience because, I mean, not all the people read the comics, right? But at the same time, I don't know if it's because licensing-wise, since it's IDW and they also made the comics, I have no idea what. But once again, once I got into it on the theme, I think it, it played very well. Now, if probably if I wouldn't go into the theme, I don't know if it would be on my list even. I probably would enjoy it as well, but it probably wouldn't be on my list if that was the case. Does that make sense kind of in answering your, 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 um, you know, your question over there uh, regarding... Yeah, if I think I, so. Yeah. So, so that's that. And now there's my, my recommendation here. Even if you don't want to get into the game, and I would recommend it to you, amazing listeners, definitely worth it to check out the comics. Is if you like those dark stories sometimes of of characters as we grow up, like DC, Black Label, and all that sort of stuff, definitely check out um, Ninja Turtles by IDW. The arc that started in 2013. The change is constant. Jonathan, 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 you're being quiet there. I know you're a very quiet person, but. What are your final thoughts of the game, episode, everything? What are you expecting for 2021? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's optimistic at this point, but I would like a convention, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, some sort of version of Gen Con. Um, but I don't know. I think there's some things to look forward to. I know, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think we've all backed some Kickstarters that are hopefully yeah, um, I know. come throughout the year for next year. So hopefully all that stays on track and, um, we get some of those things to keep us excited. And um, I mean, even despite the pandemic, there were still games that came out this year that we were excited about. So I'm sure there'll be still more than enough games next year that are coming um, out, even if we're in similar situations. So I think there'll be plenty of us to look, plenty of things for us to look forward to in the coming year. All right. It sounds like a bland Caleb. Last thoughts. Yeah, I think uh, we can only go up from 2020, right? So <laughs> it's only up from here. So looking forward yeah. to Frostpunk and a few other games that I honestly That's won't right. be surprised if we don't get them in 2020 with the delays. But mm-hmm. uh, there's still a bunch of games, you know, that are coming out. And, you know, honestly, there's a lot of games. There's thousands of games released every year, basically, right? So there's lots right. of games that are already out that I haven't had a chance to play. So maybe we yeah. can uh, visit the backlog. That's true. And my thoughts with you, amazing listeners, uh, for the next year, I will save mine because we're going to have the end of the year episode because it's going to be a very special one. And I'm going to tell you all about it on that one. So we're going to put pause on my thoughts for a little bit. Other than that, I really want to appreciate both of you, uh, Caleb and Jonathan, for being here again on the podcast. And I hope I hope we don't wait another whole year to be together and talk about games. I hope next year with conventions and such, which hopefully they will happen. And with more game nights, we can um, have an episode, you know, once in a while, get get to talk together and talk to the amazing listeners. And in that way, you know, we can share our thoughts, you know, with them. Uh, so I hope to see you guys uh, very soon again on the podcast. And thanks for coming. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Jonathan, I hope you had a good time, my friend. You always are smiling on that picture that you have on Skype. Thank you. I did have a good time. It was nice, you know, talking about games again. It's been a while, and mm-hmm. hopefully, you guys get some good games for Christmas so we can start playing those too. I know there's a lot of coming on. Believe me, 
And for all of you amazing listeners, remember that if you want to support the show, the best there's a few ways that you can do it, but the best way to do it is to rate our podcast wherever you listen to, either Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere. Please give us a rate. Please give us a subscription. Put a comment there if you want. That helps a lot. Also, to follow us in our social media, every like, every follow counts uh, on Facebook, Solo BG Podcast, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And if you want to get 15 15% off from your total purchase, go to kickstartedgames.com with ed kickstartedgames.com and obtain 15% off from your total purchase with the code SOLOBG, altogether SOLOBG. And remember, if you spend $100 or more, you get free shipping in the U.S. So there it is. Thank you so much. We have the special episode of our top five. And I see you and I hear you on the next episode. And like always, remember... For victory, go tell your friends... Till next time, see you through the speaker and at the tabletop. <laughs>